Rise, PlayStation Monster Hunters. And the game award goes to Time Management. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I am your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me is the beast from the Northeast. Ah, uh, Chris Fix. Rawr. In a, <laughs> hey, Chris, how are you? First and foremost. I'm, I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm, I'm better. Uh, been busy. You know, it's, it's the time of year where everything's busy, but that's okay because this week is also busy, but... In a time of the year where the weeks really aren't drenched with news, uh, you'll still find us uh, talking about Fortnite bringing Unreal Engine 5.1 to consoles, uh, next-gen consoles, uh, outside of just that Matrix playable tech demo. Microsoft joining the Knights, uh, the ranks of the Knights of the $70 games table. Uh, the Game Awards being significantly shorter, according to Jeff Keighley, and more. Uh, but first, we'd like to welcome new and returning listeners. If you are new, we hope you stick around and enjoy the show. But for now, let's get started, as we always do, with a slight side note. So you may have noticed on social media, we've gotten back to asking for questions to answer throughout the show from you guys. Uh, so moving forward, be sure to check us out on social media over on Twitter at Triangle SQRD. Uh, Facebook, there's a group that we have, Triangle Square, to PlayStation Podcast, or the Discord that we have linked in the description below at all times. Uh, but ask us your questions. We'll fit them in wherever we think is a good spot for them or just uh, have some at the end. We won't get to every question if there's just a bunch of them. But for this week, I want to start us off with not a question, but a comment from Mr. No Fate, one of our patrons for quite a long time at this point. He says, I like... Uh, he says, not a question, just a comment. I like the new Xmas-themed Triangle Squared logo. Uh, so if you may have noticed, if you do follow our social media, that I Christmas-themed everything out. Uh, so hopefully you're enjoying that if you're one of those people that likes to uh, be festive during the holiday season. But Chris, Hi. it is time for us to check in and let everyone know, including me, what you've been doing, mm. what you've been playing. So first and foremost, let's get this, we'll set the little playing thing to the side. What have you been doing? Because if I'm to understand, you've been working and being sick. Yes. Oh, I've been sick for, what, almost two weeks now? Maybe a little more? This will be the third episode I'm sick during. Yes. <laughs> um, which, you know, I will try and do some hot mutes if I have to. But, yeah, so just doing a lot of working. It's it's event time. Um which is crazy. I probably shouldn't say this in public, but whatever. They fire me if they want. It blows my <laughs> mind that people host these events at a, at a bowling alley. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what kind of events are you talking? Like this week, I have like a carving station for a very large shipping company, and it's like you're doing this here, <laughs> which I love it. Like it's super great. I'm really glad that they do it, but it just seems like such an odd. Like I would not be the head of shmamazon and you know <laughs> doing that but it's funny it's cool it's um so we have a, a lot of events this week um we do a good job with that so come host your events at our place but <laughs> <laughs> come host your events at the place i will not disclose <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you're from the northeast and you right. happen to run into me yeah then it's fine see me on the streets but yeah, um, other than that, not too much. Playing some games, struggling through them, maybe. 
Um, I started mm. I started watching Prison Break over again. It's a great show. At least the first season is. Never watched it. Really? Ever. You should check yeah. it out. Well, it's quite an old show, right? Yeah, it is. Okay. The reason I mentioned that is growing up, I often, we didn't have TV most mm. of the time. Um, so a lot of shows I'm strictly behind on because I had no way of watching them uh, <laughs> growing up. There was some here and there, but most of our time, it was like we'd get satellite or cable for like a year, uh, and then we couldn't afford it because something would happen, and then we'd not have it for a year, and we'd just have the little uh, old antennas. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you ever lived that life, but at one point in time, we lived out far in the country, as it's called in the south around here, but we lived far outside of city limits where there's a lot of trees, and we only got like three channels, and one of those three was like, it would only come in if someone was outside physically touching the, <laughs> <laughs> the the thing for it. But the problem is, is that you're moving the antenna and while you're hands-on and moving it and it starts to look good for the person inside, you think, oh, okay, it's good. And then as soon as they take their hand off and run inside, it's like, ah, oh, it fucked up again. So I have very vivid memories of trying to watch the first Star Wars episode four as a kid and it just being me and my brother taking like 15 minute shifts, trying to go outside and adjust the thing and watching 15 <laughs> minute segments while yelling to each other from the front door at what was going on. <laughs> it was good times. So I don't think prison break came on channel three, six or nine, <laughs> but maybe you never know. Hey. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So restarted prison break time. Well, how does that fit into uh, the games that you have been playing and may or may not have been struggling through, as we will uh, clearly talk about eventually? We'll get there. Um, You want to start with the game that you're not struggling with? Yeah. So I um, picked up Midnight Suns, and I'm really liking it so far. Okay. Uh, It's really fun. How far? I've played like three hours about. I bought it today when I finished struggling through the other game. And <laughs> um, yeah, I've just been really enjoying it. I really like the card-based combat. Um, I wish there were a little bit more defensive options where if you play the game, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. But again, I'm early, so I haven't really built decks. Um, but it's great. It's a lot of fun. The gameplay is awesome. Um, so far, I don't mind the story. Like it's not it's not good, but like I know a lot of the complaints are like, oh, you can go bird watching with Blade, and I'm like, that's really funny that Blade wants to go bird watching. I don't know what to say. Like I think that's funny, and people are very mad at it. But we'll see. We'll see if I, it continues. It's like a forty hour story or whatever. So we'll see how yeah. I feel about it by the well, end. Well, I've never played a Firaxis game either Wait, that I'm aware what? of. Civ? Yeah, I thought no, not Civ. XCOM. No, never played XCOM. Wait, no. Is Firaxis does do Civ. Am I crazy? I They do some other kind of game, I think, like that, but it may not be Civ. It's not Age of Empires because that's Microsoft, right? Yeah. So, like I said, un- unless I'm just outright wrong, it's, I yeah, don't think Axis. I've played. Um, so you've, for C- civilization? C- civilization? I've never played Civ. I've played Age of Empires. That's one of the only really? that's how. Uh, Age of Empires, and I guess technically a different style game, but... Warcraft, huh? Didn't you say you played Civ Rev? Oh, Never. For some reason, I thought in my head you had. <clears throat> well, you should play nope. them. They're very good games. I, lo- I love Firaxis games. Oh, I know a lot of people who love them and specifically love XCOM and XCOM 2. 
but I've never gotten around to it. I didn't realize uh, that goes to show I, depending on the game, I just watch what's available. I didn't really watch gameplay. I just kind of watched little teasers. Uh, mm-hmm. And since I don't have a built-in idea of what a Firaxis game's gameplay style is, <clears throat> I didn't really think about that. But I didn't realize the game was a, a card-based system. So you're saying yeah. like you move through a deck? Yep, you do, and that's how you get your attacks or your buffs or whatever it is you do. So it's really cool. Um, the animations on it are awesome. It's not it's not a good looking game. It's not a bad looking game. It just kind of just exists. But um, I'm really enjoying it so far. I could say that I recommend it if you like Marvel characters and just for Axis gameplay. Because honestly, the Marvel characters weren't the selling point when I when I was looking forward to playing it. I was like, I really want to play a fur axis game with strategy role playing game. And that's exactly what I'm getting. So it's great. So when you call it that, cause like I, I've always imagined, are, are they turn-based strategy, real time strategy, or do they turn-based. do a mix of both in terms of, okay. So this game is specifically turn-based. Yeah. Excuse so me. you, so would you go, still move around a, a map and then your cards determine the actions that you have available within your you can, set of squares. I, you get one or, movement per, per um, round. And movement doesn't count as an action? No. Because it, it has, you have card plays, you have redraws, and then you have stuff like your hero points. So your hero points, you can do stuff where you like, there's a rock on, on the floor, and Doctor Strange can levitate the rock and throw it at an enemy. And that takes a hero point, but it doesn't take a card point. Um, you can use a card of like, Blade has 15 damage and lifesteal. And then you use that card... And it either counts as it counts. Oh, I think cards always count as the card play unless it has a free on it. But it'll some cards require heroism because they're heavier cards. So like you get you can get six heroism and then use a um, a Captain Marvel thing called Photon Beam, which is three heroism, but does thirty damage to each enemy in a line. Um, so it's that kind of thing. It's really good. I got you. So it's yeah. So it becomes an idea of just setting yourself up for certain moves to min max what you can do. Exactly. I like that idea. I think it's so interesting that um, offshoots for games, but also just that that genre. I feel like a lot of games end up brushing into this idea of we're going to use a deck. We're going to implement a deck alongside a, a some form of traditional play style from us. And then that'll be how it is. And of course, my touchstone for that is always Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories uh, because it's still like everything about the game, the the game has this card system built into it. So like when you're walking Mm -hmm. around on Game Boy Advance, it had like this 2.5D top-down kind of camera and you had to kill enemies and get cards to open doors to randomly generate where you're going to go through the level. So it's kind of like a... I don't want to call it a roguelite because it wasn't, but it had aspects of like you're building the path forward as you go. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the other thing was when you were battling, you freely moved around this flat world. And then when they remade it for PS2, they made it 3D. But you freely move around like you expect within a Kingdom Hearts title. Uh-huh. But then all of your actions are... Well, dodge is not necessarily and jumping is not, but all your combat actions are specifically on... Um, cards and you can smack the cards together and there's been plenty of other games that choose to utilize a deck to come in in some way and act as those points so i just think it's interesting because a lot of people hated or at least 
severely were taken back by Kingdom Hearts doing it, and they're not the first or the last to do it. So do you think the card aspect will draw drive some people away from this who otherwise might have liked it, or do you think that it ultimately won't matter since it still has that familiar turn-based strategy just with that supplementing it? You're muted. I unmuted, but I'm muted again. Not working well, though. Um, I think people will like it regardless because it's less of a Slay the Spire or Gwent-type card builder. It's more building up like, okay, I want to get Bleed because Blade has a... a, Blade is built around Bleed, and this attack adds damage to every enemy with Bleed kind of thing. But... So it's basically just it's basically just um, choosing your attacks, and it determines okay. who attacks and stuff like that. I don't think it's too complicated so far, but I'm not far, and I'm playing on normal, so there, there's all of that. Okay, well, I think we'll save uh, the big discussion point that one of our listeners actually wrote in about for just a second. Uh, so nothing else besides <laughs> Marvel Midnight Suns and the one who will yet to be named. Correct. I've been very focused this week. I can tell. Uh, I have continued to play Oblivion, and it continues to be super good, and I'm enjoying every second of it. And it's actually, it's partially the big reason why I haven't been playing as much of the other game, because I'm having a really good time, as well as my own uh, ritual for these types of games. Not Oblivion, but the other one. But um, I also started Signalis. Yeah, you did. And I didn't get far, and it, I started it right before another game, which was a poor choice. And the, the game that we're clearly skirting around here is the Callisto Protocol. Mm. So I started it kind of out of curiosity more than anything. I was in that weird in-between where I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I already had it downloaded. And it's a very obtuse game. It's, Correct. I don't, and it's not that I mind that, Um but I think the problem is is that I chose to start it on a time where I knew I didn't have long to play it. So I played for like an hour, got to got past the opening and did a little bit more. And I think I shouldn't have done that because I really think that's one of those games where you need to start and you need to be focused and only playing it for a couple of hours, like two, three or so hours, so it can sink its teeth into you. And then you'll want to keep coming back to it. Because the problem I find myself in right now is I like the game. I think visually it's really interesting. I think this weird stylistic mix-up of Resident Evil, but instead of... Resident Evil meets Dead Space (laughs) in terms of setting, but the gameplay is more Resident Evil-like. But then it has this top-down camera instead of that very odd, angled, fixed camera aspects of uh, Resident Evil. So I like it, but I'm not in this mood where I'm eager to go back and play it, which is unfortunate. So it may just be timing, but sometimes you play a game and it doesn't click for you. So that's unfortunate. Uh, It doesn't help that I'm having stupid amounts of fun playing Oblivion. So anytime that a game starts to be any form of frustrating, boring, or anything, I'm just like, yeah, I can go play Oblivion right now and not have any of these problems. Yeah, so so you see why I fall off games very quick because that's how I feel. Except with everything, I'm like, oh, I'm not enjoying The Last of Us Part One after 35 seconds. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I get I get the desire. Definitely, if you start playing games a little bit more haphazardly, like you do, so it, you mm-hmm. can find something and 
accidentally sink three three hours or so into it, get drawn to it, then play something else, and then as the second you get bored or something distracts you, and then you come back to it, and you're like, I just want to play that other thing now. And yeah. I can see where that comes from. I think the thing about Oblivion is it's a game I have so much history with, and it's very nostalgia-driven. Um, and it's also a game where I love Oblivion, and I've played it plenty of times, but when I was younger, I didn't do everything. Like, you know, I'd always done the Dark Brotherhood in the arena, but and I'd started, like, the Thieves Guild, but I've never done the Fighters Guild for that game, the Mages Guild for that game. I've never finished the Thieves Guild. Um, there's plenty of uh, the Daedric artifacts I've not gotten in that game. So I kind of am reveling in going back to things I'm familiar with, but then also skirting up against things I'm not familiar with. And that kind of nostalgia mixed with new gameplay opportunities for me has been a real strong driving factor. Uh, though Oblivion, even on its enhanced backwards compatibility, could not stop from having a couple of bugs. I've had the game hard freeze on me three times now where I'm just playing and suddenly the screen freezes and the audio goes, <laughs> and I just have to cancel it. And unfortunately, you have to save that game constantly or you just lose tons of like if you die for some reason you just lose a ton of stuff so unfortunate but i hope you get back around to that Maybe one day. yeah i mean yeah. it's not something that's pressing for me it's just something i was enjoying playing yeah well i've been finding myself game, all I've been year. very much anticipating <laughs> <laughs> yeah <clears throat> one game in particular yeah one game in particular well, let's rip the Band-Aid off of it. So uh, the Callisto Protocol, of course, is released. And I think as anyone who happens to have been on any of the social media squares where gamers tend to gather, you'll see that the game has been divisive, um, <laughs> which I think is a pretty fair pl way to say it, because I have seen a pretty equal number of people saying they enjoy it and mm -hmm. people who are saying that they don't enjoy it or they did enjoy it until a certain part of the game or that they enjoy it, but with a whole lot of caveats and everything in between. Um, so with that in mind, Chris, I think we can couple our discussion of the game mm -hmm. around a question that we got sent in from uh, gamers gamut YT over on Twitter. He says, why do you think the Callisto protocol is so divisive I and a lot of other people really love it for what it is. Some people don't like it at all. What do you think the disconnect is here? And the reason I think that this is a good question and a good starting point is because I've seen multiple people kind of fall out of love with the game. And I know the game is short. So I'm in chapter yeah. six, probably right towards the end of it uh, from what I can guess. <laughs> um, but with that in mind, I don't, I don't hate the game, not to say that you hate the game, but I have had less problems. Now, I'm being vocal about the problems I am having because we're, there's just a lot of discussion around the game. So I'm sharing the things I like and dislike in our Discord. But I've seen you, Blake, Velvet Thunder, a bunch of people kind of start at least mostly positive, And then the game slowly funneled you to this point of, Maybe frustration would be the word. So for now, mm -hmm. I think the best way to do is you've beaten the game. I've platinumed the game. And you've platinumed the game. <clears throat> and I have not yet beat the game, but I'm at least three quarters of the way through. Unfortunately, there's one particular section of the game that I've been wanting to get to to help 
give me insight during this conversation. We are going to be care. We're not going to try and spoil anything that hasn't been shown. Um, so we're not going to say anything specific. But with that in mind, Chris, what is your take on Callisto? And without spoiling too much, what do you think it is that slipped for you over time? And if you had without, if, if you can vaguely, if you had to fix the game, what would you have done to make it closer to the game that you were so excited for? Mm. Uh, I mean, in terms of answering the question, right? I think, I think the thing is, I I liked it up until chapter four, and that's when okay. I didn't want to play it anymore. And I had said to Blake, like, I would be done with this game if there wasn't the maximum security thing where you can switch the difficulty around and get the trophy. So that's why I pushed through it. But it was at that point when it started to feel walking simulatory. And that's not a bad thing. I like walking simulators. I don't normally pay $300 for walking simulators. But... Um, just for context, Chris brought Chris bought the collector's edition. I did, and I got this and badass very cool statue. statue. Yeah, <laughs> the statue see. was the statue's dope, regardless of of the game. You know, look at that statue. Look at that. It's got some some detail. It's very heavy. It's fucking. Look at that. It's a great statue. Dance. Oh yeah, <laughs> you, you could kill someone with that statue. <laughs> um. But around chapter four is when I started to realize that kind of what I said about other games last week where it was, you know, it felt like I was watching a movie that was interrupted by gameplay, except in this one, I was going on a walk that got interrupted by gameplay because it was never scary. None of the combat encounters were ever particularly hard. So it just started to feel tedious at a certain point. And then there's, there's, Excuse me. There's a part where you're going through an outdoor area. Oh, yeah. And it's so slow. And I kept getting turned around and I'm not sure where I was supposed to go. And that was when I was just like, this is just a slog. You know, I don't I don't like how the story played. I didn't like the gameplay. Um, well, this is a really interesting interjection point because I know we haven't answered the question fully yet. Yeah. But I think that Velvet Thunder uh, had mentioned... And I felt very similar that I was starting to get, again, not hating the game or anything like that, but I was starting to get a little boring with the formula the way it had been. Definitely the environments mostly being as they were. So the part that where you step outside was like a really nice change of pace visually. Yeah. It was a very nice change of pace in the sense that the game paces itself different when you're not specifically in corridors for the entire time. Um, so I like that aspect. And I also thought thought that when the story started having a sense of stronger mystery to the point where you're kind of like, okay, what is going on? Um, so I, much like him, he had mentioned that he thought that was when the game was going to start turning around back to being really awesome. And then mm-hmm. it just didn't for him in particular. Um, so I think it's interesting that that was the point for you that kind of broke the the I, I guess the game was already in, in a delicate state for you is what it sounds yeah, like. And then that was. just kind of tripped you and you fell and then the vase broke and you were like, God damn it, but I still got to get the platinum. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, 
It was one of these things where if I didn't do it the way I did it, I would never have gotten it because I never would have gone back. And um, I don't know. I think the worst part of the Callisto Protocol is there's a lot of potential and it doesn't feel realized. That's why I would almost be curious at the time of when writing where Gamer Gamut is in the game. Because that would kind mm-hmm. of give me some context of, okay, well, you're still in the part I liked. You know, because right at the beginning is when the game's at the its best. It's at its worst at the end, and then, you know, the middle is the middle. But the beginning is excellent, in my opinion. So, I guess a good way to do is breaking down the game for what it is in a way that can be talked about without necessarily spoiling. Um, I think a lot of people were caught off guard by the combat. And I'm yeah. not saying that there wasn't gameplay that showed that, but most people seem to be surprised that the game is very strongly oriented toward melee combat, or at least what I'll say, up close and personal combat. Um, that's not to say the game does not have ways for you to deal with enemies from afar or to create space between you and enemies, because it absolutely does. But the game is clearly oriented, definitely on the standard and hard difficulties for you to not have a lot of opportunity or ammo for any of the guns that the game brings around, but rather this stun baton that you can upgrade and use. Um, And I think that that brings in a really interesting part of the game because I can understand where people talk about that. It, it, I, I won't say falls apart for me personally, but I've seen a lot of people say it falls apart when you bring multiple enemies in. And I don't know that I agree. I just don't think it chooses to be very trying to think of the right word to say this because I would say the game isn't player friendly, but I don't mean that necessarily in the sense of like it's bad design. I think it's very deliberate design where the game wants you to really think about every aspect of what you're doing, how your environment around you is going to impact your ability to get through a fight. And then they want every part of the game to be slow and deliberate because a lot of the animations are slow and deliberate. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that, I think that that's a big part of where some of this disconnect lies for some people because I guess in, in looking at that specifically, did you have much issues with the with the primary combat, not necessarily in how it interacted because there's a conversation to be had about how it interacts with other mechanics, but did you yeah. like the base idea of the combat in and of itself when you're not pushing it against other game design aspects yet? I... So I, I think the short answer is no, okay. but the long answer is I didn't hate it, but I didn't. Okay. But it was because once I figured it out, it it was fine, but I think once I figured it out, it made the game too easy. Because I know you watch the skill up review and it's very, it's very true what you do with the combat. You hold one direction, hold the other direction, hold the other direction, hold the other direction, and then the enemy stopped fighting and then you hit them a couple times and then you hold one direction and you hold the other direction and you hold the other direction and literally the only differentiating factor fac, uh, factor in the, in the fights are how many swings the enemy takes at you and that's not interesting to me not to mention less getting games have this problem and i talked about it a little bit in the discord of they don't have a good economy of the controller right like mm. that's a common problem yeah, it doesn't make sense. Like Apex, Reload, Revive, Open Loot Box are all on the same button. 
So if I'm out of ammo or not reload, but revive, you know, switch switch gun, etc., all on the same button. So if you die on a loot box, and I need to shield swap. I'm going to start reviving you nine times out of ten, and you know it's the same thing here. Where why would you put dodge on the left stick? Why? And because the game doesn't use L3, which is normally sprints. So instead of having it on L1, which you can call it an homage to Dead Space if you want, it it, it should just be in on L3 and then dodge and dodges on L1, especially if you're going to make it as simplistic as it is. Cause I know he points out in that review and I don't know if you've noticed, but you don't need to match direction. And that's why I was dying a lot and not understanding it in the beginning because I kept trying to match the enemy and it was screwing me up because I was going too late when and it clicked for me how the combat worked when I was trying to avoid enemies. So I was holding the, the left stick to the side and then, just Jacob was just dodging. I was like, I didn't press yeah. anything. <laughs> well, and, and I, there's things I like, right? Like, I'm glad that you at least have to switch the direction to dodge the second hit. But I do agree that there's something intuitive about seeing a swing coming at you from the from the right and trying to dodge to the left to let the thing flow through while you dodge out of the way. Right. But the game lets you do it either way. Now, I don't think it's like. I haven't had huge issues with it, and I actually love the idea, right? If you think about the breakdown of the mechanic of a very uh, kinetic-driven gameplay experience, and that's what this is. I mean, the game is enemies are very reactive to what you do to them, how you hit them, how you shoot them, and that's great because one of the downsides to a game like Oblivion or even Skyrim is that despite the fact that Fallout games have have limb systems where you can shoot Mm -hmm. limbs and the people react, they didn't put that in... Skyrim. They had the system and yet you can shoot someone in the knee and it doesn't matter at all. They don't stop doing anything, right? So it's a different type of... Yeah, it doesn't stop. Basically, the gameplay is not very kinetic. They don't really react to what you're doing in a way that matters. This game does, right? So I like that aspect, but that also I think is where the disconnect of when a game is so kinetic and everything reacts based off what you do, it feels weird that you would dodge by just holding because what it really means is that you're spending 80% of an encounter strafing just so that you're already in a position to dodge when it comes time. And I don't hate that. I love the idea of bobbing and weaving because I don't know if you ever played... It's the only Fight Night game I have ever played on three. three. It was on 360, Fight Night Round 3. I feel like that little bob and weave. I'm like, this is cool. But it could be cooler. If um, it, you know if it, if it would introduce a dodge window, I'd really like that. But yeah. um, past that, I, I don't know. I'm digging on a lot of old games. I don't know what it is about this game that does this. To, but um, I really like when I'm talking about kinetic. You know that matters in all aspects, even when the environment. And I really love one aspect of the melee and even the other forms. It's where if you create a big enough blowback or if you're near something you will knock them into environmental hazards even if you didn't pick them up to throw them. And uh, there's a game on 360 that Arcane did before they did um, Dishonored called uh, Dark Messiah of Might and Magic. It was a Ubisoft game, and it's an action uh, RPG, and I love it. It's got very kinetic gameplay. It's what I wish that like Skyrim would have tried going for because when you hit people, their bodies and everything react to it. And in that game, when you're moving around and fighting, there are spike 
things on the wall that look almost exactly like what this game operates within. And whenever you're close to them, you can knock an enemy to them and it will impel them. And so I like that. Um, it also kind of reminds me of Uncharted 3 and uh, The Last of Us 2 where, and even The Last of Us, I guess, to where the when you're fighting people with your fists, the game will interact with the environment around and there's context to what's around it. So I really like that aspect. And I really like guns because you still have the dead space, if you want to call that comparison of, okay, uh, I need to create some space between me and an enemy. Um, let me turn around, run, maybe turn back around, pop him in the knee, he'll fall. And I can get a couple of seconds to figure out what I want to do. And I've had some really great interactions like that where enemy was beside me. I pop him in the knee, falls to the ground, and I stop him three times and kill him with my foot. And I'm like, that's cool. Uh, But, you know, in, in looking at that, I still agree with every system that I like about the game. And there are plenty of systems that I like about about the game. I agree that there's this sense of... unrealized potential even for when it's good and you look at it for what it is kind of like gamers gamut says even for what it is i see missed potential now the oper- the great thing about missed potential is that if this game does get the benefit of being able to create a sequel and go through with that a lot of this pen- a lot of this potential has another chance to be realized better mm-hmm. 100% um, agreed but that's also met with continuing my theme of the last few episodes of the podcast of this idea of art seldom working well with business. It doesn't matter how much this game is great potential for a sequel and, and a great, and, and honestly, as far as I've played so far, I still think it's a pretty solid first effort from a studio. The game is gorgeous. It runs pretty well, specifically on PS five. Um, I agree. And, and Pat, I think that there's potent, there's an interesting world that they haven't scratched enough of the surface yet. And some little gameplay complaints. Now, one thing I think is interesting is most of the complaints for this game, even the ones I have for it, uh, like two similar of environments. The whole game is primarily just corridors with pipes and stuff. Most of these complaints, you can drill back down to the original Dead Space, and they're all true there. I think the big difference when you talk about the disconnect here is that a lot of people who love Dead Space clearly came into this. And I think some people, the disconnect existed the moment that they realized this game is not as Dead Space as they wanted it to be. Um, I noticed a lot of the reviews mentioned that this game is too much like Dead Space. And while that's clearly true in some ways, I think it's vastly wrong in other ways. Um, so so it's, it's, a, it's a bunch of back and forth. But I think that happened for some people. And then other people who were able to just stop worrying about the comparison points to dead space have may be able to love it for what it is. And that's a good way of mm-hmm. wording it. Cause I, so far enjoy, love is a strong word. I enjoy it for what it is. And I've yet to hit your point. You know what You're I mean? You're in the camp. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. That's on, so me and you are on different sides. I don't love it, but I don't loathe it yet. Now the context of the end of the game may matter. And I want to be clear. I don't hate it. I still think if you can get this for ten bucks, you should play it. But I think you should wait until it's ten bucks, <laughs> or yeah. PlayStation Plus extra tier. You know. Well, let me get your thoughts on this because mm-hmm. I still think, in going towards this, I still want to eventually get around to what you think you would do to this game to make it better. Um, 
And how about we? I think that's a good spot to go right now. Uh, I have an answer. I think one thing for me, and then I'll be curious to see if you agree, and then see what you one of your other points are. Is uh, I agree that the game, not that it has to be scary. I that's mm-hmm. why again, when you think about enjoying the game for what it is, I've not been scared or really even tense once this whole game. Nope. It's it's moody. It's atmospheric. It is doesn't feel like a survival horror game. I've not. I, I'm very tired of the jump scares. The game is constantly throwing them at you, and I've yet to jump at a single one of them. I made a joke earlier that the game crashed on me for the first time, uh, right when a jump scare was happening, and it's a jump scare they've used fifty times in the game already, and it was super funny <laughs> because. What startled me was not the jump scare. What startled me is the jump scare happened. The game crashed right after. <laughs> and the, the the crash screen abruptly coming up on my screen was more scary to me than the actual uh, the actual jump scare. Uh, that was my joke of uh, that's where Sony sent those 150 employees over to. They're like, we're going to have to create a PlayStation exclusive jump scare for you. Uh, but yeah, I do think that there is a way to make this game Scary is a really hard thing to match. So I think there's a way to crank the tension on this game in a way that feels more palpable than the game actually does. And I think if you want to go through and do exactly what people did with Gotham Knights and Batman, they're impossible not to compare. They just are. Yeah. Dead Dead Space understands something, and it's hard to even put your finger on it, but Dead Space is tense where this game's not. And it's funny how much this game tries to be a dead space clone in some ways like going out of its way to constantly have messages on the walls don't make a sound yeah shoot the tentacles and i'm like dude first of all i don't care and then second of all you know the disconnect when it says don't make a sound and then i'm three feet from this thing that if i make a sound when i'm two inches from it oh no but if i make a sound two foot from it when i stomp this box it doesn't move at all it's stupid it it just is and it and it ruins the sense of tension that otherwise would have started to build it's funny because there's the same issue i have with those exact enemies where the you get through gameplay sections of them where they're all kind of stacked on top of each other and if you you stab them one after yes But if you hit the stealth kill, it's the loudest shit in the in the entire game is hitting those <laughs> stealth kills. Right. And no one hears you. But if you yeah. accidentally stand up and take a step, you're dead. You're yeah, dead. Yeah, you know, for a, one thing that was really interesting here is that this game, I think there's more in common with this game with The Last of Us than there is Dead Space. Okay. <laughs> I'd like you to expand on that. <laughs> specifically the enemy we're talking about is so it feels almost mechanically identical oh, okay to the clicker to the infected in the last of us the i mean the, uh, basically if you if you stripped all the human encounters out of the last of us you have the callisto protocol in many ways i'm not gonna lie <laughs> to you i i kind of want because i have i have a lot of issues with the story of this game um, mm-hmm. I kind of wish we could do it as a spoiler cast, even if it's like 20 minutes. <laughs> just, just we can absolutely it. do it as a spoiler cast separately. So in that spirit, I mean, we should probably try and move through this for people who aren't playing the Callisto Protocol. But let's quickly try and, and get to the core well, of the question that he asked. For you, or go ahead, go ahead. What were you going to say? Because I think, well, what would you I do think I might answer the question, right? Because I said this earlier when I was having a discussion on the game. 
Um, I think this they were desperate, desperate to beat out Dead Space and Resident Evil 4, which is why this game is out. Because this game needs two more years. <laughs> hmm. That's what I think the biggest issue of this game. I think they needed, they knew they needed to get out in front of games that were going to be better. And so they they got the game out the door instead of polishing the dodge system, instead of polishing the combat system, instead of making a single puzzle, instead of making anything remotely interesting other than walking forward for 10 hours of your life. That's, I think, my biggest reason it's not great. So that's one thing I've seen a lot of people say. I feel like this game has an adequate and respectable amount of side areas you can go to that are completely hidden, that have enemy encounters to stop you, and that you can find stuff in. Now, I'm not saying the reward at the end of those is always worth it, but most of the time I enjoy going off and finding a slit where it's like, oh, this is something that this isn't the main path. And I've found, you know, I found at least 10 of those in my playthrough. And that feels good to me. So I remember a lot of people saying, like, it's just a, a linear game where you straight go forward. And I don't know that I agree with that. I've played far more linear games than this. Uh, that doesn't mean as a value judgment. Some games that are linear are really good being linear because of the nature of very crafted I mean, experiences. Evil West but, is great. <laughs> and it's more and linear it's, than And from this. what I understand, it's incredibly linear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but... Again, its take on combat is so different, and it, it's uh, really interesting. But um, I think to my answer to this question in particular is what do I think the disconnect is here? I think that this is a game that that occupies the same space as The Order in which it was always intended for a niche audience realistically. The people who are going to love this game just outright love it is a smaller group of people than I think that the developers accounted for and the publishers accounted for. And when you release the game and people play it, there are people who like the antithesis aspect of so many games. Because in a in a landscape where every big AAA game is typically 25 plus hours, this game is like seven, from what I understand. Most people I've seen have beaten it around six, right? So mm-hmm. wh- whatever it be, this game is short when a lot of games are long. So for people who are kind of wanting a break from those, even if it's unconsciously, they don't realize it. this is hitting for them, right? For people who are a little tired of all games recently having a a lot of the big games and the more accessible games and the more successful (laughs) AAA games, typically having a very fast and player-rewarding, whatever you want to say, a player-forgiving combat system like God of War or any of the other games that have come out this year, Horizon. Instead, this game is super slow and super plotting, and it's super deliberate, and people are going to hate that and wish that everything was quicker about the game, and some people are going to love it. So this game is just an antithesis in a lot of ways, and I think the downside is is because of who's behind it. People expected it to be as big as Dead Space, but the reality is even Dead Space is niche in comparison to Resident Evil 7, to Resident Evil 4, to any of these games. Like, you know, definitely in the modern space of how uh, horror has been going. So I think that they wanted to capture that, but the game is not widespread appealing enough to capture that. 
That doesn't make it good or bad as an objective measure, but it does mean that as people are playing it, they're going to find things about it good, while someone may find the exact same thing about it bad because y'all want different things from games mm-hmm. right now. And this is a good example of what that, they happen every few years. This type of game comes, and it's, it's as divisive as it is because of the fact that it speaks very specifically to a certain group of gamers. It's yeah. just everyone wanted this game to speak to them, and it can't because it's too focused in some senses. <laughs> yeah. To me, I think... I think the problem with this game is they advertised it as a Dead Space sequel or as a Dead Space spiritual successor or whatever it is. And how do you not? The moment that someone sees anything on it and then sees Glenn Schofield attached to it, yeah. even if they don't say it, Twitter start being like, this is clearly the spiritual success for the successor to Dead Space. And that narrative will start to build. So yeah, what do you do? Do you lean into the, it? No, because they could have come out and been like, we're building a story first game. And I, and I think a lot of the expectations would have been set in check. But when you're thinking about Dead Space, which for a PS3 game has incredible combat. Yes, it does. You're setting yourself up for failure, in my opinion. Yeah, Dead Space holds up very well. And that is uh, that is partially to the detriment of this game for people who wanted a Dead Space game. Uh, and what's funny is that even if all the problems we're talking about in this game realistically were to be present in the Dead Space remake, the Dead Space remake is still going to do better because of the nostalgia of it being... When you're playing it, you're going to be like, yeah, but it's a game from 2008, just made fresh. It's just like while people loved some of the wonky parts of the remake of um, Shadow of the Colossus or the... You could say the weird parts of Demon Souls on PS5. They exist. They just do. You know, there's weird wonky things about Crash Bandicoot's remake and Spyro's remake. But people love those games because of the nostalgia behind them. This game didn't have nostalgia. It had expectations built upon nostalgia. Right. <laughs> Which is ooh, a dangerous place to be. I feel bad for Glenn because I almost feel like he should have never tried making a game this close. No. Or if he did, it should have been. I, I know it's easier said than done, but if he was going to do this, should have done it right. <laughs> yeah, but the, you know the thing is, is that the moment that it is Dead Space... You kind of ask yourself, and, and and that's a really weird line to cross because some people want spiritual successors to be basically the exact same game with different character names, <laughs> you yeah. know? Uh, but maybe he doesn't want to do that. Look at the new game from the Wild Arms creator. It's, that's a, this is a Wild Arms game, but you won't give me the license kind of thing. Yeah. Well, when I think about, I said this to Blake the other day is, this game might even be an example of how sometimes when people want to complain about publishers meddling with art, a lot of these same ideas might have been originally planned for dead space. And it took someone from EA to go, Hey, we, that, that can't be it. It's too obtuse and it doesn't speak to a large enough crowd. And then maybe visceral had to go back to the drawing board and still create something unique and interesting at that point in time that people loved but it only came from the fact that someone at EA was like, hey, this is not, this doesn't work. It's like 
one thing we mentioned is navigation. You know, I think yeah. one of Dead Space's coolest features is the navigation thing where you could put your palm down and see the walking line. That's iconic to me. Yep, I think it's such a cool way to do the thing. And then this game just doesn't feature it at all. And part of me thinks that that was probably the intention for Dead Space. And someone at EA had the thought process to go like, we've got to guide the player somehow. And this was their middle ground of like, it's still guiding the player, but it's unique and interesting and it fits within the world. And this game just doesn't do that. And that's okay. But it goes to show that sometimes, sometimes you need a publisher to be like, Hey, we need this to be more appealing to a larger group of people. And that only happens by having someone to push back against you. If it's done well, you end up with a great game. I didn't necessarily need it, but I would have appreciated it because I definitely got lost a couple times. Yeah. There was one point where I literally had to look up a guide and be like, I don't know where to find this key card. I don't yeah. know where it is. <laughs> and that, you know, it would have been solved, but I also yeah. don't. We It's also funny because we're saying this, but la- a couple weeks ago, we're like, God of War handholds me too much. I want to be able to figure out the puzzle myself. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. This has been a year of, of, gamers finding moments of being like, oh, well, maybe maybe the alternative isn't always that bad. <laughs> you know? It's it's really interesting. These are, they're very similar in some aspects where they're so driven towards their story and are wanting to be story-driven. It's interesting too because I think this game is so driven toward a story, but it fails to really do much with any themes. Like there's this idea of like guilt with Jacob, but I don't understand it because nothing has built towards it. Oh my God. Oh, okay. I'm not. Oh, I hate the story. I hate it. I Chris, we'll have to do. I, we'll have to do something. More, we'll have to do something separate because I, I have a feeling that we're going to brush up against something uh, that we don't want to say. I don't think what I have to say spoils anything. I don't think what I have to say spoils anything. This, okay, final word, Chris. If you want to say it, say it. If it's too bad, we'll have to edit it. But I doubt it. If you don't think it is, we'll. Final word, and then we'll move on. The, this game's this game story's biggest problem is the entire story is the Uber driver is responsible for my death because McDonald's poisoned me, and it's <laughs> fucking embarrassing. <laughs> All right. <sighs> yeah, I don't think that gives anything away. That's very vague and weird. I kind of think I get where you're coming from, from where from where I'm at in the story. The second you but, beat uh, the game and you see what happens, because this game had opportunity to do some interesting stuff. What's What are we talking about next, Brett? <laughs> you know what we're talking about next? We're talking about quickly the community's take. So for those of you who may be new to the show or newer, uh, we were talking about doing a trophy competition just within the community uh, for fun and we wanted to get feedback on what you thought would be a fun way to do it so whether you wanted to do buy-ins where people would get you know whoever wins gets the entire pot of money uh, for a you know a 15 20 dollar whatever it be some some nominal amount of a buy-in fee uh, or if you wanted just to do prizes for first place or maybe first through fourth give us your different ideas give us if you're interested in it at all. So we're going to kind of loosely talk about this here and there throughout the next couple of weeks. And at the beginning of the year, we're going to have a plan in place and a start date. And we're going to do this thing for those who are interested because we at least have a few people. So it'll be as big as you guys want it to be. So quickly, 
These are some of the responses we got. Mr. Liam Wilhelm over on Twitter said, buy up all those jump games and Sunday Christian games equals easy win. Ha ha. And to that, I want to make sure that everyone realizes that one thing that we are trying to do for the fun of this is that that was kind of the idea behind true trophies. And it doesn't mean we're for sure going to land on that. We still want to hear some other ideas, but the idea is to have weighted trophies so that if you want to spend time getting those, they still count as points, but they're going to be significantly less than a more difficult platinum. Um, Josh Ayers, one of our longtime listeners, longtime patrons, he says, I'm down for anything, maybe just a physical item tied to either trophy hunting or the podcast in general. Thank you. Good idea. I like this one. Aztec King, another one of our patrons, says, oh, yes, maybe a physical plat, gold, silver, and bronze trophies for places one through four. And I know some people with 3D printers. I could probably make that happen uh, to where they're also specific. So we can get your name engraved or whatever we want to do <laughs> That'd be cool. if we want to keep doing that. So uh, we'll, I'll do some talking and see if that's a, a pretty viable thing. Um, Mr. Blake Blake finally joined back in the Discord. He says, I am 100% down for a buy-in for the winning pot. Sounds exciting and 20 bucks each or whatever is more than feasible. Uh, there you go. If you have feedback for the Ghost of Blake Post uh, and this idea of a buy-in, let him know. And then last but certainly not least is TT Dog 666 who uh, Chris kind of went to to help birth the idea of the spirit of this comp- uh, competition. He I says did. zero interest in a buy-in for the same reason I don't back a three-legged donkey to win the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> I love the dryness of the statement. Um so yeah, we're still not dedicating to a buy-in or anything. I do want it to be something that the vast majority agrees on because we're doing this in the spirit of fun. So like I said, if this is something you're interested in, reach out to us, be it on our Twitter at Triangle SQRD, Facebook, that group that we mentioned, Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. You can message us on Twitter if you'd please uh, or hop on the Discord Chat with us about it. Chat with everyone about it. Hopefully, we can come up with a set of rules that everyone's comfortable with and everybody agrees with, and we can have a fun time and do something fun for everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if it's just, even if the the monetary value part of it is that whoever the top dog winner is also gets like a PSN card or something, we'll have some fun with it. But we're going to move on into the news. The news. Now, I guess before we get too deep into the news, there's no time like now to tell you that if you want to join some of these other great people who we were mentioning being our patrons, you can head over to patreon.com slash nartech. Give as little as a dollar per month. It's a huge help to the show. Helps the show go without us having to worry about funding, which is genuinely a blessing. I'm not a religious person, but I'll use the word blessing because I think it's it's pretty fitting here. Uh, so... For all of you who do that, thank you. You know we appreciate you. That's why we always make sure to shout you guys out at the end of the episode or any time that we bring y'all up throughout the show. It's great, and we appreciate it. So moving on into the news, the first thing in the news, uh, according to an accidental leak on the game's Steam page, Jedi, uh, or sorry, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, (laughs) will be forcing its way onto store shelves in March. The exact date was listed as either the 15th or the 16th of March, depending on when you viewed the page. So if you're looking for exact details, this is not the leak you are looking for. Uh, EA confirmed plans to show the game at Jeff Keighley's The Game Awards on December 8th. So it would appear that there was 
where this was planned to be announced, but sadly, Steam shot first. Um, <laughs> in other Star Wars news, <laughs> and we'll kind of <laughs> continue that on. Actually, you know what? Well, let's let's quickly take a break. Okay. Dumb name. I will continue to, to stand on that. I, is. Dumb is strong. It's a it's it's a less than inspired name. Fallen Order sounded way cooler. I agree. This just sounds like Destiny's Child is out having a Star Wars adventure. And if that's what you want, then that's cool. You know? Go ahead. If you want to be a survivor and you're going to make it, you go out on ahead. Uh, Chris, yeah, you I, liked the first game, right? Never beat it, but I did like it, yes. Okay. You eventually made your way back to Sekiro. How do you feel like people who talk about it feeling like a Star Wars version of Sekiro? Do you feel no. like that's a pretty apt comparison? No. I always thought that was a very odd comparison what? myself. Yeah. I I understand the basis of the of argument is that it's a game built around parries, and the game is built around parries, but not like Sekiro. No, Sekiro's good. Sorry, I didn't mean to say that out loud. I actually like the combat for uh, for Fallen Order. It I don't clearly actually think needs Fallen to, Order is bad. to build on. It's not. Yeah, it's not a. It's not like a. Oh God, I. Eat. I thought that game was going to come out and be a must play, and it's very much not that. Interesting. I quite loved it, but must play is a very strong word. So I don't know that I disagree with you. You know, like must play is not necessarily something that should be thrown around willy nilly. And if I really think about that, I don't think Fallen Order is a must play. You know. Right. And for me, it's like I'm a respawn stand. Like I love respawn. So like yeah. for me, yeah, I, I was like, this is from one of my favorite devs in the industry. And then I played it, and I'm like, go go back to making Apex maps, please. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I quite liked it. So I guess because of that, I'm excited for to see the game because I want to see how they build on the first one. Because mm-hmm. much like Callisto, the first game is full of potential, and I think it does a better job at meeting most of its potential. Uh, but I'm excited because I want to see how they build on it. Um, I mean, would you consider yourself excited or does it fully depend on what they show? It fully depends on what they show. Um, Fair enough. I'm excited enough that like, when it comes out, I'll play it. But I'm not going to pre-order the goddamn $300 collector's edition. just off <laughs> Never hype. again. Nope, <laughs> I have Resident Evil 4 pre-ordered, so I already did it again. Um it's just it, you know. I just hope that they tighten it up. I feel like Fallen Order was a little rushed, and that may have contributed to my issues. Like that map sucks, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think like the the level design itself is mostly good, but the actual navigation around the map when you're trying to understand where you are is very confusing in that game. So I really hope. Uh, we were talking earlier about how as games get more complicated and more dense and they try to do more things, I feel like menus have had a really hard time keeping up with games because they either don't give you enough information or they give you a ton of information and give you zero insight on how to use that information or even that it's there. Like God of War Ragnarok gives a ton of information, but it never really teaches you how to access that information. True. You just kind of have to be curious and decide to screw around in the menu. Um, so it's it's interesting. I actually that's one thing I'll give props to Callisto for is I I like its minimal use of menus. Uh that's very much the dead space aspect of it. And I enjoy that because anytime that you can keep menus away from a game, it's really nice. Though when the game's tutorial screens suddenly hard pop up on screen, that is jarring. For it a is. game that's all about not having UI for them to just pause the entire game and then throw the screen up. 
I feel like there's a better way to have done that, but that's okay. Um, yeah, I'm curious to see what ends up coming of it. How do you, what do you think about the March date coming out in the middle of all the games that were currently listed for March? I mean, you have Resident Evil 4 right around there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, what are your thoughts? Do you think it's going to help it, hurt it, or because it's Star Wars, is it ultimately not going to matter? I was going to say, I think it's Star Wars. It's still going to sell a healthy amount of copies. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious if they'll be as quick to announce a follow-up to this or if Respawn even want to do it, but we'll see. Uh, In other Star Wars news, though, PS Plus Premium users seem to be getting the PSP version of Battlefront 2 as part of its classics catalog. So for you younger people, maybe, who may not have known, um, not not the Battlefront 2 that had all the microtransaction drama. This is the original Battlefront 2. Anyway, the title appeared randomly on the PS Store with a description saying it's been reworked for PS4 and PS5 with, quote, the game uh, has been updated with uprendering, rewind, quick save, and custom video filters, which is pretty much their catch-all for uh, most of what they've done there. So this is cool. Uh, PS4 has long had a PSP emulator built into it that could re-render the game at 4K. Uh, We saw that in work with the Parappa the Rapper Classic, the uh, Loca Roca, um, things, the Patapon classics as well. So that's how those work. They weren't so much as remasters as they were emulating the game and then just injecting better textures and stuff in where it mattered. Um, this is cool. I do like Battlefront 2. I don't know how much I care about this, but this does lead into the thing of hopefully Plus is starting to actually add more games and mm-hmm. hopefully iconic games to their service because Chris and I, I think both strongly agree that premium has been underwhelming. That's an understatement. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and specifically, classics have been an underwhelming thing because it's the only true differentiator. I mean, game trials, okay, whatever. But the true I mean, differentiator, I think, is the classics catalog, and it's been disappointing. I have no interest in the game trials because if I don't like the game, why well, do I don't want the trophies on my list? I know that's such a stupid reason, but like, I'm never going to try one of these games. It would actually be really cool, but also very weird if they would introduce the ability to trial a game without trophies hitting your account. Or at yeah. least the game the game would know that you tried it under a trial and you could delete those trophies from your list if you decide not to buy it. That would be yeah. really interesting. Yeah, something. Because a lot of that's like, Oh, I'd like, you know, because Steel Rising looks cool. But I Steel Rising to, does look cool. I really want to play it. I wanted to try the trial, see if I would like it. And I'm like, I don't want to earn these trophies and then probably not play it. So I just let it go. My completion rate. <laughs> yeah, my 29% completion rate. I can't let it fall any further. Yeah, you're behind, behind me at the very least. That's the best thing about now, this, this trophy race. I'm going to be finishing off my completion rates too. Like, oh, this is going to be perfect. Popping some 94% platinums. If we do this, I'm going to get the near replicant platinum. Oh, you have to. The one, I don't, I don't mind required. saying this. So I, we talked about it. I have a strategy for this. But the one I want to get is Dead by Daylight. Because that is a... Mm. If if we did do it by true trophies rating, it's like twenty one thousand points because there's two hundred and ten oh, yeah. trophies. So that's one on my list, and I love Dead by Daylight. It's a great game. So that's insanity because you think about some of my highest ones, and even my highest one, Mod Nation Racers Road Trip, is only like three thousand points. 
maybe yeah. more. I think maybe it's like four thousand, but it's low by comparison. That's <laughs> all I would say. Um, but that brings us to a question. So, Root Days ninety three, one of our patrons, a uh, longtime listener too, he says, "Do you think we will eventually see adjustments?" with the PS plus tiers, especially with the premium tier. Now I'm not exactly sure what he means by adjustments. I don't know if he's talking price, if he's talking features, if he's talking what, but in the spirit of it, what do you feel like? Do do you think Sony is really interested in largely shaking up the tiers having, well, he says, eventually we know that they've only recently introduced them. Mm Mm-hmm. So how do you think we'll eventually see and how quickly do you think we'd see Sony approach revamping the tiers to maybe make them more distinct and more desirable? I don't think they're going to revamp the tiers. I think what it's going to take is oh, just a big drop. And that could be what what, you know, I think that's what's missing is one month out of this year, I think we both can say we believe this, is that Sony will eventually be like, it's it's the year of premium, and it's, you know, that week has Legends of Dragoon and any other classic PSP title you want to talk about. All here, all ready to go. PS1, PS2 games. Like, it'll have a good amount, I think. And then that'll be the time when the floodgates open. Because I think... This is Sony's fault, but I think people are forgetting that they do have to put some development time into these games. So maybe some games are just taking longer than others. That's yeah, my hope. and it is Sony's fault for wanting. Maybe they should have held off and not introduced premium. Maybe they should have said, "Hey, that we're gonna re, we're gonna introduce essential and uh, and an extra, and we're gonna hold off on premium until we have enough stuff to justify the launch of it." Um, right. But who knows? Because like, you know, Stray would have been a really good example of putting behind premium and being a draw towards it. Like, well, every now and then you're going to see me, like mid-sized indie titles be day and date on on premium only. Instead, it was a, it was extra and premium that got it. And it continues to make you wonder, like, well, then what is the value of premium? Why Why is it nominally more money but with even less value, and uh, you know what I mean. Yeah. The the value of that nominal charge is not really there, at least yet. So, it, if I had to think to myself, like, well, they go stray, and I could spend two or three dollars more a month, or you know, ten dollars more a year on premium, and get games like Stray every now and then. Okay, cool. I would agree. But that's my, my, but, been my thing. I've harped on this forever. Buy a bunch of indie studios, give them IP, let them make premium games. Well, and then you, I agree with you, but then you get into the same uh, area of people being impatient as Microsoft is in. And I'm not saying that they're not right to be impatient with Microsoft, but you know, it's been since 2018 that Microsoft has bought a ton of studios. Uh, So we're four years in to them buying tons of studios and we've yet to truly see a game that has been announced and released from within that thing that was a full-size game. Now, they've been really great at doing these small titles that were likely already in the works, um, which is good because it gives them some presence. But, you know, Microsoft has been saying for years, well, next year is really going to be our year, and then it goes the next year, and then the next year, and eventually that year will come. Maybe it's next year for them, (laughs) truly. Uh, But Sony would have the same problem. If you buy these studios up and you do it, you're still not going to see any of these premium games until probably a year or two from now at the very least. 100%. 
But I also don't think that an indie Castlevania game is going to take as long as Avowed. No, of course not. That's why I say a year to two is is more reasonable than the probably four years Avowed it's going to take. Sure. I think they just need to do both. They need to be like, here's a bunch of PS1 games. Here's a bunch of PS2 games. Here's a bunch of PSP games. They're out. By the way, we've also done this and we've invested in, I don't know, the PlayStation Plus Collective and it's these studios and they're putting out games on Plus. So Rude Days, I think my final kind of view on it is right now I don't see them making any big changes. I think the big change will come and and, and it won't even really be a change so much as it will be presented as this is the day you've been waiting for, kind of like Chris talked about. If and when, potentially, I guess, they get PS3 emulation actually running, as we've heard multiple times that they are at least strongly investigating, then I think they're going to be like, now there's value to premium that wasn't there before. All these games that are part of the classics catalog that you do have, because we talk about the classics, and we act as though there aren't a lot of games on classics, and there are, because every PS3 game is part of Mm -hmm. premium that is on that service. But those are all streamed only, and that's not to say they can't be okay, but people are looking at this and comparing this to stuff like enhanced backwards compatibility and streaming a game that's still running at 720p and with more latency than was already an issue on a lot of PS3 games to begin with just isn't very appealing. And that means that those games, all of the frame rate problems that they had are still going to be present in that version. You're not getting anything extra out of them when you can look across the aisle and go, I can play Spec Ops to line on 360 or Technicon Series X at 4K at 60 frames per second. That's incredible. I agree. There's nothing that compares to that. And that's a really huge feature that Xbox has that I am legitimately jealous of. Yeah, me too. I would love to be able, the ability to get Spec Ops the Lines Platinum in 4K at 60 frames per second on PS5. Yeah, you don't but want to do it in 720p on 30 FPS and have nope, just the worst that game, of your life. I love that game. I love that game. But it's 720p and it's and it's sometimes 30 frames per second. Yeah. It's a great game, <laughs> but beating it on the hardest difficulty was a test of my patience. I think I went for a walk halfway through trying it. Yeah, I think I remember that. So we'll see. I'd be curious to see your thoughts, Rude Days. I mean, do you expect it? Or let me say this. As someone who is probably a PS Plus subscriber, I wouldn't be surprised if you are, is it something you're looking for? You know, where are you at right now? Are you essentials? Are you extra? Are you premium? And you feel underwhelmed by what premium offers? Um I think that's a big question. Is Sony's probably th- th- what they're really doing here? If I, I wouldn't be surprised, is that they just went ahead and released it as is, and they're adding to it as they can, and then they're just kind of looking at the discourse and seeing what people are saying. What are they not happy with? What do they want? And then they can kind of use that data to hopefully, eventually, get to a point where they can match that, and hope not enough people are going to be upset with the the process up to there. So that's it okay. was me. I would have just said PS Premium updates every three months, and there's a huge list every three months. Give yourself some time to work with. Instead of having an embarrassing month like, oh, you got Echo Chrome, and that's it. And I don't know the quality of Echo Chrome, but it's hard to justify. It's hard to justify Premium for one game. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. 
So we'll see. Uh, next thing up on the list, uh, Microsoft has announced that it will be raising the price of games made exclusively for Series S and X to $70 moving forward, stating, quote, this price reflects the content, scale, and text- technical complexity of these titles, end quote, while assuring that they will still hit Game Pass on launch day, as all Xbox Game Studios have and will continue to do. This, of course, raises questions about when we will see a price increase for Game Pass, as Microsoft have not been shy about saying will eventually have to come, much like Netflix, Amazon Prime, and other subscription services have done. Um, but for now, that day is a day in the future. Um <laughs> With that in mind, they were saying that Starfield and Redfall and a lot of these games are going to be the first games that reflect this price. Um, Chris, I have a take on this, and I'm curious to see if you agree or at least see what your version is. Okay, I think all along, I think Sony just beat Microsoft out of the punch saying $70 games. Mm-hmm. and Microsoft was able to quickly see a little bit of backlash that came from it and then thought to themselves, we're pushing for Game Pass. That's really day one anyway. Let's go ahead and take the PR of waiting. Let cross-gen games be their thing. We'll say we're not doing it, and then a little bit down the line we'll do it. Because the thing is is that they knew the content scale and technical complexity of a game like Starfield, when the Series X launched. That really hasn't changed in any notable way. So the fact that they don't specifically mention the economy, I think means that they've always kind of had this sitting there waiting and they were just trying to take a little bit of a PR win as they were right to do. But here we are, $70 is now the new standard across the board for consoles specifically. What's your take on that? My take is uh, Jim Ryan was right. And the Activision deal is being blocked. (laughs) (laughs) No, my actual take is that this was inevitable and it didn't happen before because they thought the games were cross-gen. And I don't think they're going to be doing that anymore. But what I think is wild is that they announced it now in the middle of the ABK stuff after Sony just accused them of being able to raise prices if this goes through and then they immediately raise prices. Well, I guess they're proving Sony wrong. They're saying, we can raise prices even if this doesn't go through. Good, sir. <laughs> Good point. Good point. <laughs> but imagine what they'll do if they have Activision and Call of Duty under their thumb. Yeah, you know, the, the question about Game Pass is is a big one because Game Pass is eventually going to have to raise price, and they've said that a lot of times, right? But you think about the fact that they have done so many years of deals, and I don't know if they are now because I've already stocked up on enough of them that I don't pay enough attention, but they had so many years of people doing loopholes to basically get in and get years of Game Pass for less than a year of game. <laughs> originally, a year of games with gold used to be. Uh, and when you think about how those things kind of play together, it's they lost so much money just getting to their surprise subscriber count and at what point do they try and just float on not raising the price, but just having every subscriber actually hopefully stay on at full price? Um, and what does that mean to them? Because, I mean, this $70 move does come into play with Game Pass because it makes Game Pass that much more attractive. Yep. 
It's and then the question comes, as one of our, our listeners stated, because uh, Chris, are you currently a Game Pass subscriber? I am. I am as well. Uh, so with that in mind, and this is a question for kind of everyone. Think about this. One of our listeners had, had mentioned, what is the price in which you would no longer want? Like, what is the price per month that you'd be willing to pay max before you would kind of go, Game Pass isn't for me, or at least I'm not going to keep it consistently. And I think Microsoft is having to kind of do that balance in their head right now of like, how much is a legitimate race? Uh, and how much is the majority of the community going to still look at? And you have people like Blake who make a good point. At the very minimum, which is not what Microsoft wants, but at the very minimum, as long as the price per month is still cheaper than a $70 game, people are at least going to subscribe the months that there's games that they want to play. Yep. But in that sense, Microsoft is losing money <laughs> in comparison to what they could be doing. The ideal, uh, the ideal setup for Microsoft is that as many people as possible subscribe and then stay subscribed for the majority of a year, if not an entire year, and then just keep doing that. Um, I'm, I'm very curious about this business model, but I think you can look at Netflix specifically in their business model and see that you can only be a loss leader for so long before you go, now we have to start charging to yeah. make a real profit. Um, and Netflix is the most profitable streaming service. They're still in massive debt, but they're not at, they're not losing every year anymore. But that also came with, you know, what is Netflix now? Like $16 a month or some crap. Yeah, I think so. So I think the, do you you have a number (laughs) of what I would pay? Yeah. No, because right now I'm paying too much. Oh. You okay. Know, yeah. They have to justify it. I think if Starfield's good and Redfall, which looks fine, is good, and all the games we're talking about are good and on the co- the system, you could see me throw 25 bucks a month. But I would cancel it. It's at the perfect price right now where... I don't feel like making the effort to cancel and every once in a while it works out. Yeah. Once it gets to $25 a month, I think I'm going to make the effort. So they have to be able to put in the, put the games in that will keep me there. So ideally they'll have here's Starfield four months. Here's avowed three months. Here's, you know, and then the Pentiment two, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. They have to make sure that they have a cadence that, will keep someone there. And then if they have a cadence and the games are good, they can charge as much as they want. They can charge $50 a month. Still cheaper than buying the game. Mm-hmm. I think ideally, the balance that they're probably going to try and go for, and I think it's a smart balance, is at the bare minimum, have enough games that people feel like it justifies their thing, even if they end up trying the game and not liking it, but still something that they were curious about and wanted the subscription to have. If you could release a game every three months and then you're talking about $25 a month, right? In this hypothetical, then that means that you get to $75 after three months. And that means that if you release a game every three months and that's enough to keep them subscribed for a whole year, they have essentially paid for one game every three months, which is probably better than most people who buy 
one or two games on Xbox when they have it as their secondary console a year, at least at their current rate. Because yep. the subscription at least has that extra layer of you never know what they could add. I'd rather have it for when those moments come. So mm, be curious. I guess uh, the real question behind that is when they raise, do you think PS Plus raises or do you think PS Plus's value proposition is closer to what they're charging? No day and date makes me think it's probably closer to what they're actually charging. Yeah, if they were if they were throwing day and date games on there, I could see it. But I wonder if we get into a situation with Sony where it's like, not every game is day and date, but some of them are. I, I still think that that'll probably be the case for small games that are stray-sized or lower. I think that's really the goal. It definitely seems that that is the case. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next uh, piece of news. In response to critiques of the past few years of shows, Jeff Keighley has said that 2022's Game Awards will be, quote, significantly shorter, end quote. Uh, he says, and I quote, one thing we're doing this year is we're trying to make the show a little bit shorter. Keeley said, I won't say anything officially until we're through our rehearsals, but we think it's going to be a significantly shorter show this year. In an attempt to explain the decision to shorten the runtime, Keeley said, quote, we think there's been a little bit of fatigue about how long the show has been. There are lots of games and lots of things that want to be a part of it, but we're cutting back on those things to hopefully have a bit more of a streamlined show. Uh, End quote. The show has previously run for more than three hours in the past, as if you watched it, you probably have felt. So we <laughs> hope that shortening the show will help it feel less like the Oscars. And as the reigning Game of the Year It Takes Two's creator, Joseph Ferris, has said, fuck the Oscars. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm personally very excited for this because I... Last year wasn't as big of a deal because the show was incredibly long. But they keep falling on Thursdays, and that's Yu-Gi-Oh! night. So we'll just put the little TV I use for when we're recording the show at the end of the table, play yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh! and look over when anything interesting happens. You know, So it feels far more passive, whereas nights where they used to still be three hours long, but I dedicated like, oh, we're going to sit down and watch this. It'd be like, oh, man, this just feels like watching a movie that has no idea how to be paced. And it's not even the fault of the show. It's the fault of my own taste of games it's impossible for every game shown or every award given to be something that interests me. It just is because that's everyone. Uh, and that's always dealt with that. So the shorter you can make that, the better. Because at the end of the show, the way you feel at the end is more important than how you felt at any other point because it's, you're going to carry that with you. And if you're more positive on it, maybe next year I'll be like, oh, hell yeah, the Game Awards. Whereas this year I'm kind of like, oh, the Game Awards, they're always too long up until this statement. They're always too long and they could trim a ton of stuff out. Now I'm more excited. It's a good benefit. Uh, though it does make you wonder why <laughs> what is being cut like i i am genuinely curious to watch and feel like can i identify the stuff that is typically in these shows that is now cut or not yeah we're gonna get more like kid rock performances <laughs> i i gotta give them credit they've done a lot better at making the musical performances be about games and that's good I because agree. dude those those first couple <clears throat> of years when they had like paris and the ear drummers backwards. I hate, I can't, I literally don't know the race. Some red. I don't know the name of that group. Race Shrummond. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, my point being, I remember thinking to myself, like 
the hell does this have to do with games? Mm-hmm. And at least like the first year where I was like, they're kind of getting there is when they had uh, they had Mick, uh, Mick Gordon doing the stuff for Doom and had you know uh, Matt Halpern from Periphery doing the drums on stage and yeah. doing rip and tear and stuff. And like that's awesome. That's that's cool. Now you're getting in the spirit of things. So the last few years of having the musical performances be game related or mo- set to motifs of games are really cool. And shout out to them for doing the um, the melody that they do of all of and what's a word for it? I don't know why I can't think of it. Anyway, where they have all of the uh, medley themes for the yeah the medley. Thank you. The medley for all of the game of the year nominees for their main themes to be pulled yeah. together into one. I like that it's a lot. super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah. I'm looking forward to this. the show. I'm looking forward to the show. I'm glad it's gonna be shorter. Um I hope the announcements punch a little harder. Consistent uh, punch consistently hard. Wild prediction. What what is one wild prediction that you think or at least hope to see here? Um so from software comes out, little pot guy comes out with them. They're like, okay, <clears throat> we're announcing our DLC. They talk about the DLC, and then out of the pot comes the guy, whoever runs Bluepoint Games, and he just goes, Bloodborne 2! And then leaves. <laughs> I knew as soon as, before you even said From Software, I was like, I have a feeling this is going to be Bloodborne 2. <laughs> I want my 100 bucks. You didn't fail. I know. <laughs> <laughs> My actual Sweet prediction. $100, you will be mine. <laughs> based on leaks, I would say maybe that MGS remake is there. Man, how, what? I know this is technically on the side, but what are your real thoughts on the, the chances of that being real? There's been there's been so many rumors about it, and then there's been reports, as people say, of people confirming that it's at least been being looked at. Do you buy it? I buy that it's at least been looked at. Do you buy it's actually happening? I do. I don't know if it's happening in the way people are talking about it happening, but I think we've seen enough well, for, that it's happening. Good. What? Yeah. I think for a while, people and the obvious candidate, right, would be Bluepoint because they already right. did a, a remaster. And a lot of people thought, well, that's exactly what they did with Shadow of the Colossus. They did a remaster first, and then a few years later, they did a remake. And I think people are like, well, they did a remaster of Metagross Solid 3, and they're clearly the remake kings right now. So you'd go to them for a remake of Metagross Solid 3. Or Metagross Solid 1 is what a lot of people had initially thought. Remember, that was the original rumor. Um, and it's... I don't buy it. Like, I don't buy that it's Blue Point, even though they would have been a good fit. I don't think it's Blue Point. I think it's Virtuous. Yeah? Yeah, I think that that's remains. the last rumor that actually had yeah. some real steam behind it. Exactly. It then why do you think we didn't see it until now? Why do you think we heard so much about that and so much rumor was there, but the actual rumors of it being shown didn't pan out? Do you think they realized they needed more time? Or was it never meant, was the rumor half right, half wrong? Probably half right, half wrong. I mean, it's a leak, so it's not like it was, you know, announced. But mm-hmm. conspiracy theory is that they know that Kojima's going to be announcing Death Stranding 2 there and they want to show him up. <laughs> Like, oh, you think they're gonna? You just announced Death Stranding 2. Guess what? We're announcing a remake of your game, dog. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. I'm not gonna say it's a Hojimo Kojima thing. I don't know if it's a better or worse look because when you have Kojima there and he and if he does announce that, then you announce his game and it's like, yeah, but Kojima's not part of it. 
but I can go buy the, or I can go be excited for the thing that he is part of. Uh, I don't know. I, Metal Gear Solid is worth far too much money, or, you know, it's, it's got far too much IP value for Konami to sit on it forever. But the real question is, is, is this happening in part because of Sony or not? Because that was always the rumors that somehow, some way, Sony was bought into this. And I guess you can look and say that somehow, some way, Sony was involved in Silent Hill 2 being remade, even if it's just that they came and said, hey, we're going to front some of the money in order to make this happen. Um, but I will say the exclusivity deal, even if it's timed, for Silent Hill 2 does make me think that there's probably truth to the rumor aspect of it being timed exclusive for PlayStation for Metal Gear Solid Remake, be it 1, 3, whatever game it ends up being. I would agree. I hope it happens. Yeah. I'd like to play them. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen, but they keep pushing more and more near. The only reason I think it may not happen is because Near Replicant just came out, but it'd be a great time to come in and bust out with a new Near trailer. Just throwing that out there. That would be super fun. <laughs> I would <laughs> hate that. Oh, my God. Oh, no. my God. Uh, yeah, no, we'll see. The other question is if they'll be bold enough to start showing off Kingdom Hearts 4 already. <laughs> More than they already have. Trying to kill me, think, dog. I don't think they will. But the question <laughs> is, is how much presence does Square Enix want at those game awards? Because they, they could show Crisis Core, which has clearly already come out and start advertising it or about to come out start advertising it they could show forespoken final fantasy 16 final fantasy 7 remake they could come out and be like we're doing a new near game they could do a lot do they want to be to that degree that's the real question yeah we'll see them we'll, we'll see. see the new dragon age well well <laughs> yeah probably well you read the next piece of news since i do not have much to say i need some water so i'll be right back Go ahead. Uh, Monster Hunter Rise is officially coming to Xbox and PlayStation consoles next year on January 20th, 2023. Uh, the title is launching on PC and Xbox Game Pass on the same day. Its expansion, Sunbreak, will arrive a few months later sometime in the spring. Rise is Capcom's third highest selling game of all time, selling 11.2 million just on PC and Switch. So the title could potentially climb that leaderboard soon. And who knows, may even see it break world's record since it's going to be on the Switch as well at that point and have that as part of its sales floor. We'll see. Uh, if you were excited for that game uh, or for world and wanted to see more, this game does build on world in a lot of ways. It detracts or takes back steps in very few areas. For the most part, it's a good step up. So I'm excited to see this. I, I'm also hoping it it's carryover is a bit more treated with like the Crisis Core Rebirth aspect because the game is pretty good looking on Switch, but I would really like it to be closer to being as detailed as World is. But I can be wishful. Uh, all that said, it is interesting that the Sunbreak DLC is coming months later, and I think it's pretty easy to look at that. I think it released earlier this year for Switch, and that there is at least a one-year exclusivity window uh, for Sunbreak, and that is why this is happening. Um, so look at Nintendo throwing some money people's way. <laughs> Uh, if you're excited for that, then cool. I played a lot of it on Switch. Sadly, the game is not going to be cross-play, uh, nor is it going to be cross-progression. So I will have to restart. But the game is really fun. I'm definitely down to get it. So if any of you guys are Monster Hunter fans, hit me up. Maybe we can get Chris to actually play a little bit more of it as well. Uh, and since Chris didn't have anything to say on that, I'm going to go ahead and move to the next piece of news. Uh, and that is Fortnite 
has begun a new chapter, Chapter 4, bringing with it an update to the game's build, bringing Unreal Engine 5.1 to next-gen platforms and showcasing the tech like Nanai and Lumen that we saw in the Unreal Engine 5 tech demo running on these machines. Uh, So, of course, that does mean that you're not going to see it on Switch or PS4 or Xbox One, but you will see it on your next-gen consoles. Um, So, with that in mind, we are finally seeing some of these things in play on a real title and not just some of these tech titles and from the people who are behind the engine itself. So, if you haven't seen it, go turn off your 120 frames, see what it looks like in action. Um, Chris talking about Fortnite here. Yeah, looks cool. I think, first thing is, I think this is really cool because... Not say it was right or wrong on Call of Duty's thing. They have numbers. They know what they can get away with. They know what they can do. But I think it's really cool for Fortnite to basically say, we're going to massively update the game and change the game in a lot of ways without scrapping the entire first one and all of your cosmetics and making you restart. (laughs) I'm a little surprised that Warzone was able to do it with mostly no issue. Uh, But I guess that's the world we live in now. Well, they they actually Um, brought back um, Warzone 1. It's, yes. stri- it's stripped back, and it's just the Caldera map, I believe. But it yeah. is out. They said that they wanted to not distract from Warzone 2. Yeah, of course. The The main thing I'll say is Fortnite is opting to do similar thing. Hey, we're mm-hmm. going to bring the new engine into the game. We're going to make gameplay changes alongside this, which is a lot of what Warzone 2 is doing. New engine, new gameplay changes. But we're going to do it within the same game and not split the player, bla- ba- uh, split the player base. Ugh, player base. Or uh, make you lose any of the hundreds of dollars you may have spent oh. on uh, different things. So it's kind of a rough thing because I have a friend who loves Warzone 2 and Call of Duty. And I think he finds some excitement in having uh, to re-earn certain skins and stuff. And I can see that that comes with a fresh slate. But at the same time, it's interesting to see. But more onto the interesting part of this is finally seeing Unreal Engine 5.1 fully in use with the two tech pieces that we saw in that demo um, that they showed the, what was it? The for something Valley, something, whatever it was <laughs> where they had the, the girl walking through the ruins uh, with the magical aspects around. Uh, so with that in mind, a, it looks amazing. I'm not, I've never played Fortnite at all, but the game looks significantly better. And I think the lighting great. model changing towards it looks great. But rude days, 93, ask another question and he says with seeing unreal engine 5 and fortnite what would you say are your top three most anticipated games that are using that engine and he included a link that has all games that are upcoming with them so that we could quickly look through it and kind of talk about it so i think before i really choose a game i want to make it clear that the engine's very impressive But I think if you look at a game like Callisto Protocol, it's a great example of seeing that developers are going to go out of their way to create tech that's specific to what they need. Days Gone is another great example. Uh, That game was built on Unreal Engine 3, if I remember correctly. Or if it was 4, it was a heavily modified version of 4, which is exactly what the situation with Callisto Protocol is. So while this engine is great, looking at what Fortnite is bringing to the table with uh, Lumen and Nanite, does not mean that you're going to see any of this tech really manifest itself in these other titles. It's going to depend on what developers want to do and how they want to use these uh, features 
because even Callisto talked about backporting a couple of features from five into the build of four they were using so they could benefit from it. Mm -hmm. But I think it's not as cut and dry. There was a point during the PS3 where you could tell a game was made on Unreal. That is not really the case now. I feel like games that made on Unreal are so vastly different looking that it's hard to be excited just because a game's on an engine. It's more exciting that this engine is so flexible and interesting and has these tools for people to use. But with that in mind, do you have an answer here, Chris? There's clearly a lot of games coming that are using Unreal 5 to some degree. Black Myth Wukong probably is the most exciting one. But interesting. I mean, I, is it is is it strictly because of the engine or the engine in correlation with a bunch of other stuff? No, I mean it's the only game on this list that I have any idea what it is, except for Redfall, um and Avowed. Stalker. Avowed and Stalker. So it would probably mm-hmm. be Black Myth and Avowed, but I know that Black Myth is closer, so I'm at this point more up more hyped on that yeah i think hype is interesting because i think hype is partially built into um something that you feel like is palpable and coming relatively soon so i think black myth wukong is a good answer for that um depending on how it ends up going off since arc 2 is being built on unreal much like conan was conan and arc are pretty ugly games despite being built on unreal my real hope would be that with these being with this being a sequel to a massively popular game and being on a new engine, that this game basically takes the ideas behind those and really brings them into a really pretty, beautiful game while still meeting the requirements of that type of game. Mm-hmm. But just to give a just to give a different answer, I'm very excited to see Kingdom Hearts four, uh, and I guess on the flip side of that, Final Fantasy seven remake as apparently seems to be using that as well. Really? Mainly because I want to see how they choose to utilize these. Kingdom Hearts went to Unreal for the first time with four, and since they're going to move to five, um, or sorry, with, with they went to Unreal four with Kingdom Hearts three, they're going to Unreal five with Kingdom Hearts four. I want to see how they slowly but surely bring that game's art style and and just unique sense of self. It has a very unique style to its uh, thing. How they bring that into Unreal 5. Because I don't know if, if anyone who played uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 also remembered playing Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep 0.2. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because that game was kind of a, a, like a mini game slash tech demo to show Kingdom Hearts running on Unreal 4. And that game looked pretty good, but it looks massively different, in my opinion, to what Kingdom Hearts 3 actually ended up looking like on that engine. And it goes to show how just how a year and a half or however long it was can change how a game looks within an engine. Kingdom Hearts 3 looks much more like a Kingdom Hearts game (laughs) than... Birth by Sleep 0.2 does as a result. Nice. So, yep. All right. Moving along, Final Fantasy 16, as we kind of, uh, that's another game, if I'm not mistaken, that is using Unreal Engine, is it not? Oh, or did well, they actually, not, hold on. I think that. 16 is, I think 16 is actually using 14's engine. I just know that Square had talked about moving to Unreal. Nope. Final Fantasy 16 is. Yeah. Interesting. Unreal Engine 4. Okay. All right. Hmm. Okay. 
anyway, it has been rated in Brazil. This is a sign that the game is likely to be on the precipice of release. So this indicates a potential announcement of release plans in the near future. Maybe the Game Awards. Uh, it's been rated not recommended for people under 16 for violence, sensitive themes, and sexual content, which is no real surprise. If you look at the trailer, uh, that seems par for the course. But yeah. uh, having not watched Game of Thrones, everyone's throwing out how this looks like Final Fantasy meets Game of Thrones. Yeah. It's and the if there's one thing I know about Game of Thrones is that it's uh, sexual content. <laughs> Certainly a lot of that. Winter is coming, and so is everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's this, you know, somebody eats some pussy in that show, and that's vile. There you know no what? Sh- there are no showers in Westeros, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's some rotten stank. I don't know what to tell you. Not for me. Um, I'm excited uh, about Final Fantasy 16, though. Yeah, I am too. I think it looks really good. And I'm mainly because it's a shakeup for what Final Fantasy's been doing for a while. So this kind of return to a more um, old fantasy look instead of being kind of this new sci-fi fantasy that they've been doing for a while is a cool change up. I mean, you have Final Fantasy 14 that kind of bounces between those, but it's not a it's not a typical mainline Final Fantasy game. So I like to see this in a game that's more limited in scope than something like Final Fantasy 14 online that just continues to grow and grow and grow ever more. Um, I know people who love Final Fantasy 14 are happy that that's happening and I'm happy for you. Uh, anyway, you have anything else you want to say about Final Fantasy 16? Nope. Looks great. Can't wait. All right. So next up, Elden Ring PVP players will be excited to hear that the competitive content is making its way to the title this week. The update will allow players to enter the Coliseums of Limgrave, Landell, and Kaled. Inside, players will be able to battle in free-for-all, team duel modes, and even some larger-scale battles. Um, this is cool. If you like Elden Ring, bam. Enjoy. Not surprised that they're having to do something. The real question is if they'll do DLC that is more akin to what they've done for games like Dark Souls 3, Dark Souls 2, or if it'll be more like Sekiro where this is about it. You know, because Sekiro got no DLC from what I understand, right? Nope, no DLC. Yeah, so it's a big big change up for them. They added like a boss rush mode. Just before anyone access. I don't have much to say about Elden Ring. It's a game that didn't click with me. So cool for people who wanted it. And I'm not surprised because anytime a game does this well, you kind of got to do something. Uh, The real question for me is whether they were always working on this or if this kind of came out of a like, oh, this game did excessively better than we anticipated. Because I don't know if you saw the interview, but Miyazaki was talking about uh, Elden Ring and someone asked him about it. And he was like, I... I'm not entirely sure why Elden Ring is so popular. So he said he couldn't recreate the he couldn't recreate <laughs> it in a new game because he doesn't even understand what <laughs> drove people to this one as opposed to their other games. I love that. It's cuz it got a 97 nice on thing. Metacritic. Yeah, but don't you feel like a lot of the Souls games have done very well cuz I mean Bloodborne's in the 90s, isn't it? I don't think so. I don't know. I'm pretty sure Bloodborne's like a 92, 91, 92. 
Nice. To be fair, 90, 92 is not a 97. I'll give you that. I mean, every other but, one is in the 80s, so. Yeah, Dark Souls 3 is 89, which is still a solid. Oh, yeah. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying maybe that bump to, like, legendary status, putting it up yeah, there with Sekiro one of the best 90. games ever. Hell yeah, it did. Let's <laughs> go, Sekiro. Woo! Interesting. Yeah, I mean, dude, the the real, I I think the answer may be to answer his question is not that there's a magic specifically to Elden Ring. I think it's that there's a consistent magic across all of their games, even if Elden Ring is yet to click with me. I do want to go back to it. Um, But I think when you've released so many games that have all been rated in the 90s or right at the cusp of it, like, dude, Dark Souls 3 missing by one point is hardly (laughs) a a thing. Uh, So when you think about having years of titles that are releasing in the 90s, uh, that's impressive. So maybe it's just that your good word of mouth has finally caught up with you, Mr. Miyazaki. Maybe everybody decided to finally listen to their favorite podcast host who said that their games are great (laughs) and took a chance. didn't play the new one. Maybe, just maybe, it didn't hurt that they were comparing it to Breath of the Wild themselves as a developer and yeah, pointing to it as reference. Sorry, I forgot to mute. That's <laughs> ah, cool. Uh, yeah, I don't know, because you were really into Elden Ring and then you weren't, so I don't know how to describe, and I don't think you know how to describe the magic of Elden Ring. This would be a good moment for Saul. Yeah, what is it about him? Elden Ring call over? <laughs> I don't think he'd even answer. What call time him. is it? Oh, he's in bed. He's in bed. Pussy. Uh, <laughs> Otherwise, I would. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think Elden Ring is great. Uh, I just lost interest. And I would never play the PvP anyway. I don't like PvP, so. I like the PvP within the normal game, but I don't go invade other people's world. I like being invaded. Yeah, it's cool. But... I don't really care about doing other people's world. Though I really did enjoy it in uh, Deathloop. The biggest problem is that since the game allowed people to turn it off without having to go through the trouble of turning your system into offline mode, um, it means that it would take forever to find a match because people would just get tired of it. But it was a great feature. And my thing is, like, if you're going to dedicate to that, dedicate to it. Don't put a feature in the game and then tell everybody they can cut it off because you just cut half of your game off. If that's that's more like a quarter of your game playing as Juliana, mm-hmm. still a fun mode. All right, moving into quick fire news before we wrap the show uh, with moving through our kind of I guess rapid fired uh, guesses for who we think is going to win each thing at the Game Awards. Uh, indie hit Neon White makes its way to PS4, PS5 from Nintendo Switch with enhanced features. It's available December 13th. It will bring obvious graphical improvements, as you'd expect, as well as support for nearly every DualSense feature, including gyro aim, and support for 120 frames per second on compatible displays. So if you've got a TV that can pop out 120, you've got it. Uh, Chris, from what I understand, you played Neon White. You enjoyed it. I do. It's a great game, and I, everyone should play this. Another card-based game. Another card-based game. Uh, Next up, quirky indie title uh, meets dinosaur version of Furries, Goodbye Volcano High, reemerges after a long absence with a new trailer sporting a summer 2023 release window. If you're interested in that, go check it out. Uh, Last thing before... Actually, I'll save this for the actual end of the show. It seems like a a weird conversation to have right at the end of a show. So, Chris. Hi. 
Let's do this. Let's move Let's through this. these nominations. I think we should save Game of the Year for last. Okay. I'm good but with that. But if you want to go first, you do whatever you want, man. Oh, I'm reading them off? All right, so we got Best Game Direction. Elden Ring, God of War, Forbidden West, Immortality, Stray. Ooh. So one thing that should be clear here, Chris and I both have undoubtedly not played some of the games that are going to be nominated. True. So not choosing them is not saying that they're not good. It's working within the confines of the knowledge we have. Yep. I don't know what Immortality is, but that's cool. Uh, from what I understand, it's a Netflix um, game that was published by Netflix to Windows and Xbox at first and now has a mobile version that you can play for free if you have a Netflix subscription. So how does that work? Do I go to the Netflix app and then download it from there? Do I download it from the App Store? I, I think you download it from the App Store, but then you log into Netflix to play the game. I don't That's know for weird. sure. That's so I, weird. I could be wrong, but yeah. All right, so what are your feelings here? Because this is game direction. So this awarded for outstanding creative vision and innovation in game direction and design. God of War. I'm going to say Elden Ring. Okay. Even though, Even when I didn't like it, I think it did more to innovate game direction and design, even if it innovates by taking us back to a, a different era of gaming. Um, I think that that exploration was a, a real big one. Gotcha. Though I also quite enjoyed Stray for that aspect, though I can get why not everyone would. So, all right, next category. Best narrative. Plague Tale Requiem, Elden Ring, God of War Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, Immortality. Was there a laugh I heard? Yeah, it was for Elden Ring. All right, so this is a conversation we had. Uh, I can't point to Elden Ring because I didn't experience it. But mm -hmm. I understand narrative building in FromSoft games, and I think it's incredible. Uh, so with half of this list being games I didn't play, I have to choose between Horizon and God of War Ragnarok, and Ragnarok is the clear winner for me. Yeah, I finished none of these, but already I would go with Ragnarok. So Ragnarok. I, plan on doing Plague Tale before we talk about our own um, boards. Gotcha. So we'll see how Plague Tale holds up. Best art direction, Elden Ring, God of War, Horizon, Scorn, Stray. So outstanding creative and or technical achievement in artistic design and animation. Uh, I am a big believer that this, I, I think oh, pretty much every game here is incredibly stylistic and cool looking. Mm -hmm. Of all of them, the most unique and interesting looking one Elden Ring has plenty of things I haven't seen, so it's probably a close second because I've seen some pretty cool stuff. I'm going to go Scorn. I think Scorn looks amazing and has a super unique design. That's two for Scorn. Best score in music. Plague Tale, Elden Ring, God of War, Metal Hellsinger, Xenoblade. The fact that Sonic is not on here, criminal. But with so the you games that we Sonic have... In? Oh, I'm writing Sonic in. Let's go, baby. No, <coughs> I'm kidding. Within within the actual uh, nominations, uh, Elden Ring's got very beautiful music. Haven't played Xenoblade. Haven't played Plague Tale. So between God of War and Metal Hellsinger, I got to go with my personal gut. Metal Hellsinger is super interesting. God of War is great, and the score does a good job at portraying the emotion that they're doing, and I think they excels at that. But I think that there is more interesting thing when you think about uh, inclusion of score and how it plays into the game. Metal Hellsinger has an edge by having very interesting titles that have a genre-specific edge for me personally. They're great. 
It's another two for Metal Health Singer. All right. Best audio design. Call of Duty, mm. Elden Ring, God of War, Gran Turismo, Horizon. I'm going to say Gran Turismo 7. Audio cues are excellent in that game, and they really help. Definitely when I'm playing the way I do with the camera I do, they give all of the information I need to know what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong, what other people around me are doing, and how I need to respond and react. That's that's my game. Okay. Superb. Um, I'm going to go with Call of Duty. I figured. I am curious, actually, to play that game and see how the sound design goes, because they typically have very good sound design. Best performance, Ashley Birch for Horizon, Charlotte McBurney for Plague Tale, Christopher Judge, God of War, Man Engage, Immortality, Sonny Suljic, God of War. I think this is an easy Christopher Judge. I think so as well. All right, cool. Yep. Um, Games for Impact, Memoir Blue, A Dusk Falls, Citizen Sleeper, Endling, Hindsight, I Was a Teenage... Okay. It, it, whatever um e- econo econ exo colonist is very confusing i'm gonna go ahead and say it i think this is a stupid category i'm not even gonna answer i'm not even gonna entertain it i think it's dumb what does this even mean yeah that's a genuine question for me i don't i think this is dumb and it's looking at games for in my opinion the wrong reason now, that's not to say that every game can't be impactful for you for some reason that you find important, but thought-provoking game, plenty of games make me think, but with a pro-social meaning or message, who determines that? This is a dumb category, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm not going to vote. I don't know any of these games. I'm not going to vote. I don't, I don't either, but I don't even care about the games. I care about the idea behind the category, and I think it's ultimately dumb. Uh but best, best ongoing. ongoing Apex Legends, Destiny 2, Final Fantasy 14, Fortnite, Genshin Impact, uh, Final Fantasy 14. Knowing what I know, and I'm, I'm going to use other people's information here because the only game I have any experience with in this, Destiny 2, I will also say Final Fantasy 14. People seem to be very much loving it. It's had a great year. If No Man's Sky can't be on here, then it's going to go to Final Fantasy. <laughs> Best Indie, Cult of the Lamb, Neon White, Sifu, Stray, Tunic. I I will vote despite the fact that I don't feel comfortable voting because I've played one of five games here. But all of them besides Sifu, I am heavily interested in. It's not that I'm not interested in Sifu. It's just not as strong a pull as the other. So for now, I have to say Stray. It's the only one I've played. Uh but seeing what I've seen, I think there's a really strong chance for Neon White and Tunic. Mm-hmm. I know people love Cult of the Lamb, but from what I've seen, and what I, I think it's a great game, I don't think it's going to push past some of these more unique games. I actually think Stray might win this, though, just because of the novelty of the game. Yeah, the answer is uh, Neon White. I'm very excited to try that game out. Yeah, you should be. <laughs> the, the art style for that game is incredible. <laughs> it is. It's so good. Um, best mobile game, Apex Legends Mobile, Diablo Immortal, Genshin Impact, Marvel Snap, and Tower of Fantasy. I feel like this is a very easy, very easy category. No answer. Don't play them. Haven't played any of them. Have no opinion. Marvel Snap. Okay. 
I mean, seeing how, but recency bias, bias again, it's new. And people have been on it because of that. So you're probably right, but I think it's going to be a clear example of it's just the newest thing. It's a game of the year candidate. I also I also partially think that Diablo Immortal blew up in each because people liked it, but then the moment that the stuff came in with uh, how pay to win it was, <laughs> I think it really soured a lot of people on that particular aspect. But go ahead. Best community support. Um Apex Legends, Destiny 2, Final Fantasy 14, Fortnite, No Man's Sky. Again, very obvious here what the answer is. So recognizing a game for outstanding community support, transparency, responsiveness, inclusive inclusive of social media activity and game update patches. So I know we're moving quickly here, but can I ask a question? Because this doesn't make sense. How can Destiny 2 and Bungie be on here when they... Rightfully or not, I don't. I'm not passing judgment on it. They have literally said we are done talking to the community. <laughs> so how can they be on best community support? Well, uh, that that's interesting. I didn't. I, I remember hearing something about how they felt like listening to the community too much was an issue. It wasn't even maybe that. It's it was the way that they people were trolling that. them and you yeah, know, what know. they said was the death threats and all that. Whatever, whatever. I'm not yeah. going to pass judgment. Regardless of the fact yeah, Destiny either. 2 doesn't even win, it's No Man's Sky. I think No Man's Sky, anytime that it's in this category, is going to win because yeah. it that game just it just keeps giving for no money. Mm-hmm. And until these other games do that, even Fortnite, right? Fortnite does these things, and it's a, probably a pretty close second. And Apex is in that vein, right? But mm-hmm. both Final Fantasy and Destiny 2 and what they give and how they interact with the community are all great. But I still think No Man's Sky has just such a crazy good community. Final Fantasy XIV is a close second, though. A lot of people really love that community. I don't personally see a lot of social media activity for the game, but that's because I don't follow the game, I think, more than anything. Mm-hmm. All right. I don't know anything about this. Innovation and accessibility, as does Falls, God of War, Return to Monkey Island, The Last of Us Part 1, The Quarry. Uh, for me, it seems pretty obvious that this is The Last of Us Part 1, even though I don't engage with this stuff very much. God of War Ragnarok seems to have pretty much everything that The Last of Us Part 1 has in it, so I think that's a pretty easy even tie between the two games that I know about. Uh-huh. I don't know enough about the rest of them. Cool thing, though, right? For when games want to try and broaden their audience with accessibility, it's great. We were talking about uh, how Callisto is a good example of how ideally modern games should just let everybody map their buttons wherever the hell they want to, or mm-hmm. ideally the system allows you to do it. And uh, I know PS4 did that, I don't know if PS5 does that. I think it does. But unfortunately, you're dealt with the fact that just because you changed what the system thinks a button is, it doesn't mean the game's going to show that button in its place. And that's why having games still allow you to do that is important. But that's that's not all of accessibility. There's so much more to accessibility. So, mm-hmm. Best AR and VR games. After the Fall, Among Us VR, Bone Lab, Moss Book 2, Red Matter 2. I, I feel like this is probably going to go to Moss Book 2, but Among Us VR probably has a pretty good chance just because of the sheer chaos in front of it. I was going to say Bone Lab because it's the only one I've heard of and I've played none of these. Yeah, I have played Bone Lab. It's pretty cool, but it's very intense. So I think what it may end up losing out on is not enough people are going to be able to work through it because mm-hmm. it's <laughs> very discomforting. as a, it, it pushes the edge of VR comfort. Gotcha. Best action game. 
Bayonetta 3, Call of Duty, Neon White, Sifu, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Shredder's Revenge. No opinion. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Shredder's Revenge is the winner. <laughs> you going to get that platinum? No. Best Action and Adventure, uh, Plague Tale Requiem, God of War Ragnarok, Forbidden West, Stray, Tunic. I do not have the skill to get that platinum. Nor do I want to earn the skill to get that platinum. This is a weird category. I I guess I can understand how Stray is action adventure. I don't know what other category I'd put it in, so I guess this is fair. <laughs> Tunic looks like it's probably the answer, but I haven't played it to, to actually say that. Uh, I don't know. I didn't think exploration wasn't fun enough. I mean, it was okay. None of it was bad, but I don't think exploration was good enough in Horizon despite it having an open world. So even though God of War is a smaller world, not open, I think it probably lands. So of the games I've played, God of War, I suppose. Um, this is Tunic for me, I think. I really need to play Tunic. You do. I. You should. I own it. You can play it. Um, best role-playing... Elden Ring, Live Alive, Pokemon Legends, Arceus, Arceus uh, Triangle Strategy, Xenoblade. Hmm. This is going to be weird. I actually think I want to give this to Arceus. I'm going to give it to Arceus too because it's the only one I played. <laughs> Best Fighting, DNF Duel, JoJo Bizarre Adventure, All-Star Battle R... The kingdom, the king of fighters, XV. I don't 15? know which one that is. That's it. Multiverses and Sifu. Multiverses is your answer because Correct. it's the one you've played. I don't have an opinion. <laughs> Multiverses wins again. Best family. Mine. Uh, Kirby and the Forgotten Land, Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, Mario Rabbit Sparks of Hope, Nintendo Switch Sports, Splatoon 3. No opinion. Congratulations, <laughs> Nintendo Switch Sports. You win the Triangle Squared Best Family Game. Hey, this is just predictions, good sir. <laughs> Calm down. Sir, I'm going to have to ask you to stop, please. Hey, we're making our picks thus... It wins. Triangle this is a, this is what I think family. is going to win of the nominations. These wouldn't even be my nominations for any of these categories. Me too. Best Sims <laughs> strategy: Dune, Spice Wars, Mario, Rabbit, Sparks of Hope, Solo War, Warhammer Three, Two Point Canvas, Campus, and Victoria Three. No opinion. Victoria Three wins again. What is Victoria Three? Can you give me a quick sale? It's a game for accountants. <laughs> Bet. <laughs> <laughs> Best sport. Wait, in kind of like accounting plus. No, <laughs> I mean <laughs> literal accounting. That's my favorite game for accounting. <laughs> Best sports slash racing. F one twenty two, FIFA twenty three, NBA two K twenty three, Gran Turismo seven, Ali Ali World. Gran Turismo seven. Grant, MLB twenty two. The show. Yeah, I'm surprised that's not on there. That's what Kyle from Trophy Room was talking about. That the fact that it doesn't even get nominated (laughs) is more of a slap than anything. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Best multiplayer: Call of Duty, Modern Warfare Two, Multiverses, Overwatch Two, Splatoon 
3, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Shredder's Revenge. I have a feeling Overwatch is going to win this. I don't <clears> have an opinion. Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 2. Co- can we just skip content, content creator of the, year? of the year? Zero opinion. Let's skip. It's not Nebellion. Hold on. He he quit. He quit and he didn't make any content. If he's a content creator, I'm a content creator and I'm actually a content to creator. To be fair, see, this is, the, well, it says our content creator, but then it says who has made an important and positive impact on the community. I by mean, quitting? Nebellion made an impact on the community by sharing deals and stuff. Though, I, Where's Wario 64? If Nebellion can be in here, it's then Wario 64, he deserves out of a any spot. of these people, the only right answer is Ludwig. Um, Interesting. Debut indie best. Neon White, Norco, Stray, Tunic, Vampire Survivors. This is the most obvious win of all time for goddamn Vampire Survivors, the game of the year. <coughs> you know, you're touching on something that I really love, and I know we're going to save it ultimately for the real episode. But this goes towards the thing of people always talking about like, why people are well a game a racing game can't win game of the year why the hell not if the best time that i had gaming and i'm not saying vampire survivors is that but it's a good example of vampire survivors probably doesn't even really have a story it clearly doesn't have crazy production values what it has is incredibly fun gameplay and a a gameplay loop that keeps you wanting to play and if the most fun i have in a game the entire year doesn't have amazing graphics or voice acting or any of these things why does that matter that's why when people say, well, you can't have a, ga- a, a racing game win game of the year. Why? Fuck, I can't. <laughs> Need for Speed Unbound has ASAP Rocky as, a, as the horn. That's awesome. Game of the year. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's like I think I said last year. I thought last year was kind of a weak year, but MLB 21, the show, was by far my game of the year, strictly because I spent almost 500 hours on it. Like, how, how do you yeah. sit here and make, like, oh, God of War is better quality so it wins? Bitch, I spent 30 hours with that, you know? You know what I'm trying to say? Like, I get what you're saying is that, and and that's the real. It's it's such a weird value uh, thing for yourself because it comes down to what you value in gaming. I'm not saying that God of War Ragnarok can't be someone's because it makes sense for a lot of people to be theirs, but it also makes sense for someone to say, "Yeah, I I spent a hundred hours in in this game, or I I played Sonic Frontiers so many times that, and I loved it to death." Now it's a it's a pretty strong example. But point being is, if if you if a game is your game of the year because it was just incredibly fun, completely de, you know bereft of any story, then why is that even a you know doesn't matter? Best adaptation, recognizing outstanding creative work that faithfully and authentically adapts a video game to another entertainment medium. Ooh, Arcane League of Legends, Cyberpunk, Edge Runners, The Cuphead Show, Sonic the Hedgehog Two, and Uncharted. Uncharted deserves to not be on this list. <laughs> Funny you say that because my pick is Uncharted. <laughs> Unironically, I like that movie. Did you watch Arcane? Because you absolutely should. I watched it's incredible in every aspect. Oof. I love Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Great time. Not the winner. Yeah. I haven't watched Cuphead show. Cyberpunk Edge Runners, really good. It's a close follow up for Arcane for me. Okay. All right. Most anticipated game, Final Fantasy 16, Hogwarts Legacy, Resident Evil 4, Starfield, Legends of The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. Mm. Oh, Chris, I feel like are you pretty torn here? I feel like I feel like yeah, all torn. four everything besides Starfield, I feel like you are excited for. 
I'm maybe for I mean, all of them, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're so, you're excited for Starfield, but would you consider your excitement for Starfield to match your excitement for Resident Evil Four or Hogwarts? It's no, it's I mean, Starfield is number five, but <laughs> but it's there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah, I mean, that's fair. I mean, but this is probably my top five. Like so, <laughs> no, that's fair. What do you think is going to nudge out for you? Or let me say this: We're talking. We're really talking. What do we think is going to win? Or at least that's how I've operated. Whether or not you have is a different thing. I have not. Now, of course, what I think is going to win within what I know. So here, this is entirely subjective. No one knows anything about these games besides Resident Evil Four because it's a remake. And even then, there's some elements that we don't know. So this is a great catalog or category rather to look and say, like, what do you just think is going to win? What do you mm. think people are going to actually go toward? Oh, it's that that seems like the easy way to look at this one, honestly, because the answer is The Legends of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> I think so as well. But I the <laughs> there's a little bit of uh drama controversy, a little bit around Hogwarts Legacy. But I think Hogwarts Legacy has a chance of pushing it out just because people have been wanting a legitimate, very gameplay oriented and and big budget harry potter game for so long that that could push it out just by nature of being the most uh it's the most what would be the word here not unique it's most novel of all of them fair enough um best esports game counter-strike global offensive dota 2 league of legends rocket league valorant no opinion no opinion I'm just gonna skip esports that athlete, one. no opinion. Just gonna skip that one. Esports team, no gonna opinion. Skip that one. Esports coach, no opinion. All right. Esports that was event. all for the all game right. awards. <laughs> Besides game of the year. So now we gotta go back. What are the game of year awards again? The Game of the Year, Plague Tale Requiem, Elden Ring, God of War Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, Stray, and Xenoblade Chronicles 3. All right, so again, looking at this objectively to what I think has the highest chance of winning, uh, I think a lot of people are looking at Elden Ring and God of War here, and I think that they're pretty obvious picks in terms of how excited people are, how big of games they were. Elden Ring has staying power because it was such out of the blue. God of War has recency on its side, uh, as well as the fact that it still was a good game. And my only thing here is I think people might actually be discounting Stray, not because it's the most amazing game of all time, but because of the fact that the novelty of the game brought people who are not gamers to this game. And that does... It's it's really weird. Because it, it depends on what the nominee around it is. Right? right here it says, recognizing a game that delivers the absolute best experience across all creative and technical fields. That game is not on this list, so. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, Vampire, Vampire Survivors, Survivors is not here. Well, that's the thing, right? This is where I think Game of the Year gets weird because absolute best across all creative and technical fields. Vampire Survivors is probably not very okay. technical in terms of tech. Like, how is this game pushing the tech? Of gaming, it's probably not because well, that's not. A it thing. didn't crash on me, and God of War did. So 
<laughs> Take that. Eat your heart out, Eric Williams. <laughs> what you going to do with your 4K graphics? My 8-bit game worked. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's part of why this uh, thing is. Would you agree, and I think it's a fair statement, would you agree that graphics and general presentation play or at least seem, appear to play a somewhat uneven yes. hand. Yes, 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 yes. In this category? Yes. Yeah. But then again, Xenoblade's on here, and that's that. on the stinky switch, so. No, and I'm glad that both Stray and Xenoblade are here because they're examples of games that are pretty in non, uh, what do you want to say? Non-realistic ways. They don't yeah. go out of their way to do so. I mean, like, Elden Ring is a good example of that, too. Elden Ring does not try to be realistic, whereas God of War Ragnarok and Horizon Forbidden West and Plague Tale all try to look photorealistic with stylization that fits their world. But they're still pushing to... And, and they're all beautiful in their own ways, right? I didn't play Plague Tale Requiem, but I know that Plague Tale Innocence was a gorgeous game. Uh, and Team Asobo are a very talented studio. They do... Um, of course, they have crazy tech. They did Flight Simulator, which is a mm-hmm. very technically crazy-looking game. Uh, so with that in mind, who do you think wins? Who do you think actually takes it home? God of War Ragnarok. I think so as well, but... Stray. Well, I, I, all I'm saying is if Stray wins, I'm not surprised. That's all. That's all I'll say. Um, I think Elden Ring does have a chance. Only thing I when does voting end? It's already over. See, that's what I would have thought, but I don't know because this side of voting, this is we vote here, right? I don't know. But fan voting is different than like you know, game of the year is here, right? And you can sign in to vote, but the actual winner is not who fans pick; it's who judges pick. When do judges finish their deliberation? Has that already been complete? I believe it was the 15th of November. And if that is the case, and the reason, because that would make sense. It has to be before the cutoff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but with all that in mind, some people would say Elden Ring getting free DLC could help it, but I don't know if that's true, because if deliberation's always already done, there's really not much a game could do right now to help or hurt. So... Fair take. I agree, though. I think God of War is going to win, and sadly, I think it's not because the game doesn't deserve anything, but I think it's primarily going to win because it was a great game that is incredibly recent. I think that's the (laughs) And it's beautiful, and it runs incredibly well, and it's a PS5 exclusive. There's a lot of reasons as to why it's going to be viewed so um, favorably. I only... Elden Ring seemed to uh, acquire quite a big... I wouldn't say Elden Ring did what Stray did in the sense of bringing non-gamers into gaming to the same degree, but it brought people who I don't think would have considered themselves gamers who liked that style of game, very hard games, into that fray by the millions and millions and millions because that game outsold Dark Souls 3 by like 3 to 1 in a a year, less than a year. The game sold like 30 million copies, 20 million, whatever it was. That's incredible. It's mind-boggling, man. So maybe Elden Ring will get it. And I'm sure people will be very excited for Elden Ring to get it. And Elden Ring, to some degree, probably deserves it. But with that said, Chris, do you have anything else you want to talk about with that? I do not. Interesting game of the year. I'm glad we did the experiment. 
The question of all questions is going to end this show. Yeah. The haunterly spirit of one Blake Popes ask, would you rather fight Kratos or 25 cocaine bears? Kratos, easy. Why? Because you lose both fights and bears eat from the asshole first. <laughs> At least Kratos might respect your body. Yeah. Like, He's got an axe and I'm a human. I'm going to die very quickly. A bear, again, is going to eat my guts through my ass. I'm good. <laughs> Chop my and head this off. This is a bear though. on cocaine. So Right. So who the 25 f- bears on cocaine. That's too many <laughs> bears. It would have been like... This would have been more interesting if it was Kratos versus one cocaine bear. Because on a good day, I might, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio it. But... <laughs> I'm not beating 25 bears and Kratos is immortal. So I have a counter argument. Go. 25 bears in close proximity to each other, hyped up on cocaine, have a very high chance to start fighting each other, which means I might be able to slip away. (laughs) Yeah, but you could also make the argument that if you run fast enough, the bears would get tired and burn out and then they'd pass out. There's arguments for both. But just reading the question as if like we're putting a gauntlet and the bears know what they're doing, I'm taking Kratos. Now, hold on. If you're telling me 25 bears in a row where it's one-on-one, where the bear's clearly going to focus on me, yeah, Kratos. But I'm going to stick with the side of 25 bears at once that are all hyped up on cocaine are probably going to be more mad at each other and are not going to notice me as quickly. One may notice me, but the moment that another one comes in and interrupts, I can slide out, you know? So you're hoping for like all the bears to fight and then by the time the last bears there it's so weak that you can kind of win basically i'm saying that while they're all fighting and and going crazy i can do anything i can i can maybe escape okay i can depending on where i'm at if it is like a coliseum or something or i can at least be uh as i do in the arena or as you can do in the arena on oblivion jump up on one of the big uh little stone areas and hide until it's down to one. And yeah, maybe it's either so weak that it dies or it comes down from its cocaine high passes out. And then I just go take a spear and shove it through its heart. Bam, bam, win, win. Fair. I think the question that we're missing from this is what Kratos is this? That's a fair point. If this is, honestly, the, if this is Norse if it's the right Kratos, Kratos, I'll fight him because even if he whoops my ass, he'll be like, I don't want to kill you. And then he'll just let me live. Right. So you'll, you'll still get saying. fucking hurt. <laughs> Maybe I can talk Norse Kratos out of killing me, but I know for a fact that Greek Kratos would just kill his own men for fun. So I'm taking Norse there Kratos. Regardless, the answer is Kratos. <laughs> Thanks for the question, uh, Blake. Interesting one. Uh, I would like to see how anyone else does. So communities take, would you rather fight Kratos or 25 cocaine? <laughs> <laughs> if you would, if you would like more context on what a cocaine bear is, go watch the trailer for the new movie, cocaine bear. What I think might be Ray Liotta's last movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. That's his legacy is cocaine bear. A bear on so cocaine. with those things in mind, you let us know who you think you would rather go up against. Uh, but Chris, unless you have anything else that you would like to leave these fine, beautiful people with, I think we can start wrapping this show up. No, I'm good. It was a great show. All right. Well, Chris, thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you for admitting that you would rather fight 
Kratos and 25 cocaine bears. I respect it, even if I disagree. Uh, if you enjoyed the show and you're on a podcast service that allows Excuse you to rate, me. like Spotify or Apple, where you can leave a review, please consider doing so. It helps people know that you like the show, or if you don't like the show, and it helps us know. It's a good feedback mechanism for us. If you're on YouTube and you like what you see, you like what you heard, Smash that like button, as they say, uh, and subscribe if you want to catch up and be involved on every episode as they come out uh, every Wednesday around noon. And lastly, if you want to join talking to us in any way, shape, or form, be part of the community's take, uh, head over to Twitter at TriangleSQRD if you still find Twitter valuable. If you find Facebook your place that you'd rather be, there's a group, like we said, Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. If you ask to be entered in there, I'll gladly let you in. And then lastly, you can always find us in the Discord, which we have linked in the description below. If you decide to become a Patreon, like a couple of new guys did this week, one Woo. being Savoy Prime, uh, then you can get a cool colored name. You can get like a purple name for a magenta name for being a square or, you know, green for triangle, as well as a sticker if you decide that you want to, you know, bump up to that narwhal and get a nice pretty blue name. Uh, but with all those things in mind, I want to thank you for sticking with us through the show. Hope you enjoyed it. We will see you guys next week. And without further ado, shout out to our newest patron, Savoy Prime. Alex Barry Rogers. It's a sin to win, aka Sean, Aztec King, Lechion 69, The Lord Corgi, Salvador Garcia, Hamadegger, Bailey Robertson, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Christopher, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Constantly Kenny, Matthew Green, Sean Sanderud, Steven Salazar, and Shadowist. Thanks to each and every one of you. See you next week. Bye.